We talk the talk, we talk the talk From the shots that's called to the tomahawks To the league boss and the ones who lost Give it to me once, I don't drop the ball To the home runs that was out the park Kershaw when I'm pitching off Kobe the Howard, he looking soft LA Rams in the city, y'all You like that, you like that, you like that Kirk Cousins back, long bomb to D-Jacks Got special guests, got breaking news Got what's new if you need that Watch me speak like Ali R.I.P. Not a person on earth that can't stop me Game 7, get a ball to Kyrie Three Welcome to Welcome to Talk That Talk. If you are watching our live stream that is on Facebook currently, you see who I'm in studio with. But if you're not and you're listening to us on SoundCloud, then you will be hearing who I'm with in studio shortly. But um, it's a good day. I like to think of it as a good day. And we got a lot of basketball to talk, so that means we got a hooper in the building. Speaking of Hooper, we call this man D-Hoopster. What's going on, Hoop? What's up with it, man? Man, I ain't heard that music. Nah, it's been a a minute, bro. It's been a minute, bro. Just I heard those, I heard that (laughs) opening chord, man, and I'm like, all right, yep. It's time to go. Now it's it's officially go time. time. But again, welcome to uh, Talk That Talk. It is December 6th. It is December 6th, and it is 12.02 on a Sunday afternoon, so you know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox, Emerson, Relly Graham, ASAP Relly, whatever else you know me as, sitting next to Daryl Harris. We call him Hoop, D-Hoopster, whatever you know him as. And we're, we're, getting into, we're getting into it today. And again, really quick, if you're watching this uh, live stream, we are still at UNLV currently. Shout out. Yep. Um, the rest is on the way. If you have been following everything that we've been doing, um, I believe, what, two weeks ago, I think we made the announcement that Talk That Talk Radio is live online. So if you want to go ahead and check that out and you want to go ahead and see all of our content, things of that nature, we have um, a $20 monthly subscription if you guys want to do that month to month. Um, That also comes with a 10-day free trial. And then we also have our bronze, our silver, and our gold packages in case you wanted to get your subscription package for 30, or excuse me, for three months, six months, or the full-term year. If you get it for the full-term year, obviously you won't be paying $20 a month. You'll be paying $120 for the full year, which means about $10 a month. If you do the six-month, I think it's about $13.33, I believe. And uh, that three-month pricing is about $16.68 or something like that um, per month. So, obviously, we're obviously... um, We're... uh, making it incentive based for anybody who does the longer subscriptions with us. So shout out. We got a couple of uh, our first time subscriptions this week. So thank you guys. And I appreciate everybody who has reached out to us and let us know the bugs with the website. That's uh, something that we deal with. That's something that we're going to have to deal with moving forward. But I I don't, it's not something that we anticipate being a problem. Yeah. All the support definitely is appreciated. We know we've reached a, a wide audience over the past year and a half at least and if you like what we do so far definitely apply that small let's say investment into what we do because the plan is for us to be here for a while so most definitely and i'm happy that you said that um speaking of that in in doing this uh I, i've told you guys before that um i'm not even sure if my if my chatterbox corner is up now that i know that this website is out i, I did have a um have a story where I kept telling you guys that we have this chatterbox corner that kind of just details everything that we've been dealing with um, behind the scenes and kind of lets you know why we've been moving and and shaking so much and why things of that nature have been uh, taking place so quietly. But um, in terms of creating your own media company and 
understanding everything that goes with it, you got to get people that's on your side and you got to get people that that are going to um, believe and, and trust that you'll uh, do what you say you're going to do. So I do just want to go ahead and make this announcement right now. Uh, we did get one of our first confirmations back already. And I've said it before. I said it last week. You would think considering that we graduated from UNLV, we have two more people on staff that uh are in the process of graduating this month. So shout out to Tyler Sher and shout sure. out to Salim Dweck, who obviously isn't in the building today. They're making sure that they're wrapping up the final, the final touches on graduation. And then once those two grad will be the first entity that reached their hands out and was willing to go ahead and give us a shot. That hasn't been the case. Um, we'll get to that shortly. Give me about 10 minutes and we'll get to that, trust me. Um, but I do want to say shout out to this particular um, organization, I reached out to my dad and was like, can you guess the first team that reached out? He was like, oh, it's not close. He said the Aviators. I said, you're right, 100%. <laughs> so shout out to the Aviators. Shout out to Don Logan. Shout out to uh, Jim Gemma. Shout out to Fran Reardon. Um, just shout out to the whole staff. Shout out to the whole team. Definitely. Real recognized, real. You dig. Um, so we will be taking care of some uh, Aviator baseball starting in March of 2021. So all of those emails did go out. Um, so hopefully we'll be bringing you guys full coverage uh, for everything that we said we were going to do, which is Las Vegas sports and entertainment and everything that is Las Vegas culture. So we, yeah. we, we got some, some things up our sleeve for sure. And definitely, that's a, I, I would say it's a great starting spot because both of us building the brand. For sure. And uh, culture in, in Vegas and – we're locked in with them. That's good news, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, normally, you guys know how this rocks. Normally, the first 15, 20, 20 minutes or so, we try to give you guys a little bit of just insight into what's been going on with us. As we say it all the time, we use this radio show as a as a therapy uh, session almost. So um, I don't think you're going to get a full 25 today because we have so much sports to talk. But I do want to say really quick, I was on the phone with somebody recently. And she was absolutely like floored thing. But if you're watching this live right now, <laughs> this is kind of what it looks like. <laughs> call, they call both of us on a real natural hair. Facts. I'm getting my hair braided. Life. I'm getting my hair braided as soon as we're done with this. So, Facts. yeah, that's what I'm in the middle of right now. Um, there will be. Let me actually say this right now too, while I get this out the way. There will be no radio show next week, um, at least for the time being. That I'm at least for um, the. I guess at the present moment, I'll say uh, we haven't been um, rushing this. And that's kind of what I want to say. We haven't been rushing it. We've trying to been, we tried to be really, really uh, strategic in the way that we've kind of tried to unveil and unravel this plan. So, um, once again, we appreciate you guys rocking with yeah. us next week. There should be no episode of Talk That Talk. If that changes, it will be on our socials. Yeah. yeah it's December 6th, 2020. You know? Um, I've been hesitant because I don't like jumping the gun on these kind of things. Right. So a lot of people are already getting out there. As soon as Thanksgiving passed, they're getting out there. But I just want to – I'll embrace the spirit. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays, y'all. Happy holidays. Happy early holiday. Happy late Thanksgiving. All of it. It's a million birthdays in December. Oh, my gosh, bro. So, no, once it hits September – just <laughs> no empty space <laughs> once on the it hits september for me it's just like fam all the way through december i'm like and i got birthdays up until christmas eve oh yeah oh yeah for sure it's busy christmas day honestly fam, now that i think about it i'm like i might christmas day to the 30th mine might go to december 28th <laughs> all right we're gonna we're gonna get off of this because i'm not i'm not getting all of y'all gifts so we're gonna 
we not going to sugarcoat that, but that's a podcast conversation. But um, as I mentioned before, we're going to actually jump right into things right now. I want to give you guys a quick little score update that um, around week 13 in the NFL. And then I'll jump into some college sports. And I think that should be interesting. Um, we've kind of had a, a routine going on where we usually start with Las Vegas sports, college specific. And then we trickle our way into um, the more national sports. So that's similar to what we're going to do today. Uh, just giving you guys a little rundown of week 13, our scores. The Saints currently have a 21-9 lead over the Atlanta Falcons with six minutes to go in the third quarter. The Lions are making a comeback effort against the Bears in Chicago. They're down 20-23 to with under four minutes to go in the third quarter. When this show started, I think the first voice that you might hear <laughs> Is Daryl saying that Baker is shredding them boys. And Baker put up 38 points in the first half against the Titans. Here's yeah. the problem. The Titans have put up 14 unanswered points in the third quarter. Or excuse me, yeah, in the third quarter. And now they trail 38 to 21. And they have the ball. So we'll see what happens Big there. Big game right there. Battle eight and three teams in the AFC. And Big does it look like there was a fumble? So it, it was a so I'm not really sure exactly what happened. There's a lot going on in this um in this recap right here, but it looks like Ryan Tannehill was able to complete a pass um, to his wide receiver, Brown, and there was a fumble. Now, I'm not really sure exactly what happened during the fumble, but it looks like Tennessee has been awarded um, Tennessee has been awarded that uh, touchdown after recovering the the um, the fumble in the end zone. So that game, once again, is 38-21 to with about 10 minutes to go. Just like they drew it up, I'm sure. <laughs> My guess is that's the way they drew it up. I'm sure if you ask Mike Vrabel, he'll say the same. Um, now, down in Miami, shout out to Salim, our residential Florida man. Uh, yeah. His Dolphins have a 13-7 lead over the Cincinnati Bengals, who at this point are looking like they're gearing up for a top five pick with Joe Burrow no longer being in the lineup. Yeah. What do we have? We got two more games, three more games. Uh, we have three more games from this morning. We have the Minnesota Vikings, another comeback effort. Down at home in Minnesota, and they're playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're up 19 to 16 with under four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We mentioned the Raiders, our hometown Raiders, earlier today, and the Raiders have scored in every single quarter, and they have a 24 to 13 lead over the Jets with 419 left in the third quarter. I do want to mention, yeah, after committing five turnovers last week against yeah. the Atlanta Falcons, it wasn't it wasn't pleasant to see. <laughs> Not at all. The Raiders forced. Three turnovers in the second quarter, and that's what allowed them to get back into this game and take control of this game. So I don't think that should go unnoted. Definitely a get-right game because if they, if they wanted to keep that playoff window alive, they had to get right right now. And we're definitely going to talk about that a little later, but there's no way that the Jets should be used as a get-right game. You take what you got. <laughs> All right, I, who's going to argue with that, especially when you got an 11-point lead? Um, and Deshaun Watson is doing his his best impersonation of give me give me give me one player who's carried teams before. Oh um, six Dwayne Wade. Yeah, I, for whatever reason. Twenty eleven Dirk. Oh yeah, yeah. No, nah, I was thinking football at first, but I, I, can you name one? He's doing it, bro. Without a draft pick, without <laughs> can a, you name one? Without an offensive line. That, that's where I'm going with it. The Indianapolis Colts still have a 24 to 20 lead over Deshaun Watson and his Houston Texans in Houston, but Deshaun Watson is is not going without a fight. Uh, so there are your um, early morning games for Week 13 in the NFL. Where are we headed, man? They said college hoops was first. I'd love to because for whatever <laughs> reason, I feel like college basketball talk to me has been the first sport that's resumed that's felt closest to normal and okay. the maui invitational being okay. in winston-salem or whatever Wait, wherever Asheville, it was. Asheville, north carolina <laughs> right there it is 
the that part, of course, is not real. <laughs> the the cutouts in the crowd are a little Gosh. weird. But when I watched the actual product, I was like, you know what? I'm captivated right now. Like I got right back into the swing of things. And I think it's gonna be a good season. For college basketball? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um <laughs> if you're watching this live stream, I was I just wanted to know where where Hoop was going. Because if he was thinking that it was gonna be a good year for UNLV, yeah, no, I wasn't I'm, gonna I'm looking, I'm looking at the uh, national level. Oh, see see here you go. And I was gonna shoot him level. a little bell and tell him that if he was looking at UNLV Perhaps that he can say that this team will have a good year this year. Only reason why I say that is because this this team started 0-4. And we talk about it. I think we talked about it pretty much all last season. We saw some of the games that this team was losing, and, and we looked back and was like, I mean, you lose a defensive battle against Kansas State at home in overtime. You shouldn't lose that game, but there's – Something there's to a build way. Off of. Unfortunately, it yeah. sounds weird to say, but there is a way to lose. So, like you just said, there's something to build off. There's something to take away from it. Um, this year, it's a little bit rougher. Yeah, you talk about it because I feel like I've been doing it for the last month. So, I had plenty to you know come in here and go back and forth. If you want to talk about Gonzaga, if you want to talk about, <laughs> if you want to talk about Carolina, if you want to talk about, I don't want to talk about Carolina. The Pac-12. I, I was like, how long do you want to stay on UNLV? But it's interesting. Of course, you can't count them out, especially in, before conference play. Right. And this is a team that has only two players, I believe, back from last season's active roster, being Bryson Bakke. And when I watched them, I was really taken aback by how small they're playing right now. I was like, okay, the team has shifted because I spent a lot of time with the team last two seasons. Right. And I was optimistic for Coach TJ's second year. I was I couldn't wait to see my boy David on the court. Um, and I was just curious what lineup they were going to go with because I didn't know that much about the incoming recruits. Exactly. And so far, there's parts that I like, but it seems like they're definitely missing pieces from last year's team. That if they combine that with Bryce's what next pieces? year, honestly, Amari. I would say that you could use that extra penetrator. Um, I think they're missing Donnie Tillman if they could have mm. kept him to stay because mm. he was an undersized big but a nice wing who could battle for you down low, and they're missing that right now. I, I think they're missing Donnie Tillman in terms of just being a versatile defender. Not that he yeah. was the greatest defender, but you had somebody with length that you were going to put on the perimeter and guard the ball. So I think that is missing. I want to get into a couple of different things. When you mentioned a small lineup – not that me and TJ disagree with it, but I notice when me and TJ, when we talk, I always specify it by saying three-point guard lineup. He always calls it a four-guard lineup. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people may hear that and think, what's the difference? What's the difference? It's a huge difference if you know the two. So I think here's the difference with last year. You, you can't hear it anymore? Nah, not really, but go ahead. Okay, I was about to say, we're going to make sure it's all good. Um, And one thing that I did notice from last year was, we if you guys actually are subscribed to our um, Talk That Talk radio, you were given the exclusive, the full, I think it was almost 30 minutes, 30-minute uh, interview that I did with TJ right when I think the pandemic started. 
and that was kind of just an interview to kind of just to end to encompass the entire season and put a bow on it. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about during that was the conversations that happened in the media room. And I told him everybody was like, well, if he has three point guards, well, who's the first one off the bench and what does he want? What which one for and who's going to bring the ball up? And I was looking and I was like. To be quite honest with you, I think when you look at the two teams, I mean, you look at the three guards, the yeah. point guards at the time, Amari Hardy, Elijah Mishu Long, and Marvin Coleman, who's still here, like I told TJ, I think you're looking for something different from all three. Yeah, they're interchangeable. That's kind of the, the goal from it. Kind of the purpose. Kind yeah. of the purpose of having them all out there. So we just talked about what it looked like last year. So let's talk about what it looks like this year so far. You replace Amari Hardy with David Jenkins. You replaced Jonah Antonio with Caleb Grew. Yeah. Is that pretty much safe to say at this, at this present moment? Elijah was in and out of the lineup due to injury last year. That's definitely a takeaway from what we've seen on the court so far. That's that's kind of where I'm at with it. And, when, and I noticed that even in doing my season preview, I believe that Caleb was going to be, whether they talked about it or not, if you know, if you watched UNLV basketball last year and you've seen what Jonah Antonio's role was, who's at Wake Forest now um, in the ACC, if you look at Caleb, I think 52 of his 70 shot attempts at Iowa State his first year were three-pointers. So you know what he's going to bring to the floor and things of that nature. So um, there is this four-guard lineup. There's plenty of positives to take away from it on the offensive end, whether shots are not going in. But here's where I want to go. I want to go defense. Yeah. Do you know that this team committed 92 fouls through the first four games? Sheesh. 92. I looked at that stat, and I thought I was wrong. I think the team has had 24 twice, 25 once, and 19. It was pretty glaring against – Well, in the first four games. Yeah, against, like, the second half of Carolina. It was like, okay, wow, they can't do anything to stop the post feed. Right. And when you got a team with bigs like the way they do, it was just textbook from that point. And that is definitely an issue. They did kind of maybe get on track because they picked up a win yesterday against Kansas State. Right. And I had been waiting for the game where David Jenkins went off. I hit up my boy Chuck because he's a huge Carolina fan. Okay. And I was like, in the second half, early second half, we got out to that great lead. And early second half is going the other direction. And I was like, yeah, unless David goes off, we're toast for sure this game. 20 plus. <laughs> 20 plus? Yesterday, 20 plus. he did knock down seven threes. So, they have a life. And if anything, we should definitely look at last year's team and notice that Coach TJ will, swift, will switch the lineup up as the season goes on. Oh, no, 100%. So, what we're 100%. seeing right now is maybe what he was most comfortable with. But he believes that if you earn playing time, you'll get on the court and he'll make adjustments if he doesn't think it's working out. We've we've had this conversation before and, and TJ um, – I'm sure he's never going to apologize for being this way, which is a good thing. But uh, we've talked about it, and we've talked about players last season speaking about um, practice schedules and practice times and durations yeah. of practice and amount of practice, things like that. So it was it was told to us and it was made clear to us very, very early that um, TJ's intense, and that's kind of where we're at with it. Is it possible – because I understand TJ wants to, and that's what happens when you go to a place like South Dakota State and you have NCAA tournament success, and or you have conference success and you get to the NCAA tournament, you, I'm sure you want to get back there. 
And definitely, people can say maybe this was the flaw in Marvin Menzies, but Marvin Menzies speaks spoke about getting better each game, working, understanding the process, understanding that it's not going to be a one year jump, things like that. You hear Coach TJ and his staff saying the exact same thing. However, when you see his rotation be so short. And you see freshmen get in the game and only play seven minutes but have two fouls and things of that nature. You could question whether he's doing the right thing by pulling them out of a, of a game that they're probably hurting the team. But at what point do you let them go through those growing pains? I think he's working with a, a batch of players who he's not sure what he's going to get. Mm. So I don't think that he's devastated by the start at all. I, we know this guy. He's way too driven to, to get deterred by a, a slow start. But I think he might be letting things take their course so that way he can see, all right, okay. He might be looking for strengths and weaknesses at this point. Right. So that way later on in the season he knows that this person's itching for an opportunity. Can you figure out strengths and weaknesses if Moses plays eight minutes and Devin Tillis plays seven minutes? Like, can you what, – what are you gaining from that? That'll have to – evolve you know that's my guess but yeah especially when you look I don't know if this lineup is mm. that sustainable so mm. I see him incorporating some new things but maybe this is just what his gut told him to go with first it resembled somewhat how we played last year so I don't know and here's the deal too um I I've noticed in this offense too especially with the smaller offense with the way that the ball moves and the way that the ball is um is is shot from from beyond the arc <sighs> And this is my dog, man. Like, once once he graduates, this is somebody who I actually want to have on the show because if you know him, hilarious. And you probably know where I'm going. If you have ever had the opportunity to be around Chuck Mbake John, mm -hmm. hilarious, yeah. bro. Mbake might be one of the funniest people on this campus, like, just yeah. in general. Like, he he's funny without trying. Um, so Mbake has always been somebody. And this is I, – I haven't liked the conversation about him this year only because – Everybody has made it seem like he is a lost man in the mm -hmm. offense. And a lot of the things that come, the conversation that come from that has been he has no offensive game. Yeah, which is incorrect. But which yeah. is very incorrect because that gets said about somebody like DeAndre Jordan as well. Mm -hmm. And DeAndre Jordan – Pretty much went a full year averaging, what, 14, 16 points off of just alley-oops? <laughs> off clean of up, just clean up. Yeah, finish line. So the the reason why I mention that is because you brought up a name that Tyler Bischoff from ESPN absolutely loves. And he's at Oregon now, and that person is Amari Hardy. With the attention that Amari would be able to attract when he got paint penetration, mm -hmm. it left Mbake at the basket with a layup. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at last night's game, Mbake played a stretch with four fouls in the second half mm -hmm. where he got to the free throw line six times or three times for six uh, attempts mm -hmm. off of the pick and roll from Big. Marvin Coleman. Big. I just want people to know Mbake took all of our free throw attempts yesterday. In that stretch, those six free throw attempts were the only ones that UNLV shot. Mind you, we're asking a ton of him defensively. You're asking him to be the only big against every team he plays. Keep in mind, North Carolina is the 10th tallest team in the nation. What's that, up, Anita? I see you. 
that was not an enviable position. And shout out to him because he's never going to turn down an assignment. Ever in life. Never going to say, come on, y'all. Never going to point the finger. Never going to deflect. And that's what I love about him, for sure. And there's a lot of potential there to work with. For sure. And this is where I'm going with it. Uh, It's not going to matter now, but (laughs) we said last season that TJ was waiting for his guys. Waiting for his guys. Waiting for his guys. Based on what I'm seeing, he doesn't have his big man. He doesn't have his big man yet. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Vitali Shibu was closer to what he wanted in terms of a stretch five. I'm guessing that's what he that's what he want. He wants to play five out, I'm pretty sure. Or have the ability to play five out. Maybe not do it. But have the ability to play five out. Here's my issue. What if he gets that big next year that provides that, but they lack the intangibles, the hustle, the loose, the the diving for loose balls that Mbake gives the you that, that that energy, that accountability. Because I think if you have, I know we're playing revisionist history here, but if you have a Vitali Shebel in the starting lineup, but you bring somebody with energy like Mbake off the bench and he gives you fifteen minutes, that could change the course of a game. That could change the course of a season. Certainly, we saw what he did with Mike Dom, mm. and that's a person that Legend. he had for a, a, a nice tenure and built a team around. So if he has, like you said, that big man, he could be anywhere from 6'7 to 6'10 with some skill, with some tenacity. He can turn that and pair that with guard play and a system that's going to be – that's what they're missing because they are playing up tempo, and you can do that. But when you do that without the size to go along with that, you can't play half court also. And those discrepancies are really showing on the court sometimes. Hmm. Now, if you were to get that, they're dangerous because then you can defend, you can play fast, you can play half court. And they're a well-trained machine. It's just against the defenses that they're seeing, everything's not being effective. Before we get off of Mbake really quick, I do want to just mention that um, how can I – how can I put this? Okay, so histor- historically speaking, if you guys know a little bit about UNLV, UNLV is typically the bigger team. So when UNLV had Brandon McCoy and Shakur Justin, that was <laughs> – I might have been the person that was pushing it, but I know I wasn't the only one. There was a smaller version of what could be – could UNLV have their own version of the Twin Tower – of their their version of a, uh, um, of a Twin Tower? And – Jordy, if you guys know Jordan Johnson, shout out, former point guard here on here mm-hmm. on campus. Jordy um got in trouble one day behind a question that I guess I asked, but um I, I Jordy wasn't worried about it. Um it was after a Boise State game where the team was essentially mauled, but on a on a defensive end, it seemed like every call was every foul call was get was going towards Boise's way. And Jordy mentioned I think UNLV is big, so UNLV looks a certain way. Mm-hmm. Like, when we get pushed around, we're supposed to take it, but when they get pushed around, it looks a little a little different. And um, the Mountain West didn't, didn't like those comments too much. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I say all of that to say rebounds were never really an issue last year for UNLV. Even in games they lost, they won the rebound. In Even playing with a smaller team than they had years prior. Right, and I think that's because you have great rebounders coming from the guard position in Bryce and in Marvin, but – we're still talking about big man. So here's the reason why I wanted to bring this up. UNLV was minus 10 in rebounds last night at halftime. Mbake played five 
of the 20 minutes in the first half due to uh, foul trouble. He played eight minutes in the second half. So it's only mm-hmm. 13 minutes. But just to tell you guys the difference, UNLV lost the rebound in battle 32-30. to 30. Just Mbake's sheer presence on the court even that out a little bit. Yeah. So I think he's taking a little bit of a beating unnecessarily. Um, but let's go ahead and get into that Kansas State game really quick. UNLV was able to get their first win of the year. They came away with a 68 to, uh, 58 win over Kansas State in Kansas State. I'm going to try to give you guys a quick snapshot really quick. The story is up on uh, Talk That Talk Radio if you are subscribed. Uh, or if you sign up for the free trial, go ahead and check it out. Um, I think we have announcements coming for that as well. Because I think I want to – we, we got to give a little to get some. So mm-hmm. I think we might have certain uh, stories be free stories and, and certain ones have to be subscriptions. So we'll, 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 we'll work behind the scenes on that. But looking at last night's game, David Jenkins scored a season-high 25 points. Um, went 7 of 13 from 3. Mm-hmm. That's the second time in three games that UNLV has had a player record at least seven made three-pointers in a game. And I believe it was 12 years or seven years from the last time that had happened. Don't quote me on that. That's me literally trying to visualize this tweet that I saw. Um, but looking at that number from David Jenkins, clearly it looked a little looked, – looked good. It's something yeah. that you want to see in a stat sheet, especially after a win – However, if you watch that first half, David had a couple of shots go his way, and I believe he was four of six from the field uh, to start. And then David had a stretch where I believe he missed four or five straight. Yeah, he's not going to stop shooting them. And that's where I'm going. Let me know. Tell me what, what you think am, about what, that. Why? Tell me what you think because <laughs> I always do a, a, a just I just check the temperature on UNLV <laughs> on Twitter. And seeing, <laughs> don't do that. Seeing you know folks who are unfamiliar with who right. these guys, who's number three? Like, <laughs> who said he could shoot that much? So that's hilarious. What do you think? Because well, and geez. knowing his personality, right? Knowing what he's done behind the scenes, right? You want him to build up his confidence, right? When do you tell him? All right, to rein it in. Um. That's the question. Like, I would assume that coaching you – and that's and I hate to say it, but that's exactly where it goes. It goes to um, coaching, and it goes to having that level of awkwardness because you know your players. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned it right now. If David Jenkins is one of those players that needs volume shots, he might have to take 15 a game. Yeah. So exactly. I'm not really sure if the conversation in the locker room is – if you're not Bryce or David, if you don't have an open look, I don't need you m- attempting to get to make sure, make sure that we get to this number of shots. Because I think when you look at UNLV play, if Bryce and David Jenkins shoot the ball 15 times apiece, that might be this team's best success, best uh, road to wins. Is if those two a, score. a lot of possessions in what their shot would be the best turnout. They, it was a wire-to-wire win yesterday, but Kansas State tied the game up, I believe, four or five times. Every single time, UNLV gave the ball to Bryce and moved. Yeah. And that was Coach TJ's – one of his remarks leaving the invitation was, we just want David to be that kid from Tacoma right. that fell in love with the game and plays his game. His game is being aggressive and, and taking chances, taking shots. You got to take some to make some. Right. And we saw him knock him down last night. Maybe it's a confidence builder. 
Maybe. And what I will say is that he's upped his scoring in three consecutive games. So that's good to good to see. Has seven in his uh, season opener and then have four the following game and has scored in double figures every game since I believe it was what, 14, 18 and 25 last night. Um, Bryce also came into the game, actually uh, leading the team in scoring with 21.5 points per game. But he added 18 points. But here's the reason why here's the reason why I want to talk about Bryce. Yeah, great stat line yesterday continuing to round into form. And I think people don't understand how young Bryce is. Yeah. And a true didn't miss a year, didn't skip a year, didn't redshirt a year, came in as a true freshman already with playing time and each year earned a role for himself to where now it's like, okay, Bryce, you, you got it if you want it. Right. And and what's interesting is watching left-handed basketball players is so funny to me because everybody doesn't get the James Harden love. Yeah. And it seems like every lefty, when you watch them play basketball, I shouldn't say every lefty, but when you watch them play basketball, it seems like because they're left-handed, there's just a level of awkwardness that comes with them. Yeah. And I think we grew to love Manu's game, but Manu Ginobili had a game at first that we were like, Oh, what is this? Yeah, this is 0304. Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like, what is this traveling that you're doing? Thing, you know? Right. So it's funny that we say that because there there were times during that Kansas State game where I'm looking at Bryce spinning to the lane and, and shoot a, a turnaround jump shot, and I'm like, if anybody on the team is going to take it, I want him to, but that shot looks horrible. <laughs> and when he does it and it falls yeah. and it's like – what are you going to do? Yeah. Like, if it falls, what are you going to do? And that's actually the area of his game where I'd like to still see the most com- improvement. It's just the consistency in his release. Right. He's a pretty good shooter, but his release isn't the same every time. Sometimes it's sharp. Sometimes it's not. Right. But I love what I'm seeing everywhere else. He's very shifty. He's really explosive for his like his size. My allergies are You saw he me. came down with eight rebounds yesterday. Six assists. And... He's only 6'4", six, 6'5", six, right. on a good, you know. But burst, the burst is there. He's comfortable handling. He can he can get off a of one. He can get off a of two. I, I got out of my seat against mm-hmm. Carolina when he got that and one. My God. <laughs> oh, my God. He got me out God. of my seat. I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't want to, you know, but he's be the first that. to put him on big boards. But am I the only he's person that saw that? that. Am I the only person? And and going back to his to his shot, like switching, I feel like we see certain players in the league do it. Of course, we see Steph do it. Steph can kind of shoot from a, a variety of ways. Tyler Hero, I think we're learning can do it. I'm gonna give you a name, and hopefully it doesn't freak you out because of the way that this person ended their uh, postseason run. But I look at Paul George, mm-hmm. and granted, it's Your another boy. number thirteen. Here we go. Um, <laughs> that's my guy, but. Anyway, um, and I'm, let me say this really quick. Let me go ahead and jump in real quick. Everybody, who, whenever they talk about Paul George, they always be like, that's your guy, that's your guy. <laughs> I just I can't get away from it, so it is what it is. It's, it's the, fine. It's the X you can't you <laughs> no, always tie to. <laughs> facts, bro. It never fails. It's like that's the one X that I got to deal with. Um, giving you guys a quick little update really quick before I finish this Paul George story. The Raiders are only up by three points after the Jets did cap off a touchdown drive with a two-point conversion, and now they trail 24 to 21. And it looks like the um Ravens, or excuse me, the Raiders just got the ball and they are at the th- their own 30 yard. Can I shoot so we'll them? Can happens. I just shoot them some bail? Have at it. They're playing without Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Abram. Not enough bail. Some. Not <laughs> enough bail. <laughs> didn't work. Jarrell, if you're listening, it didn't work. Um so Paul George. So <laughs> 
he's definitely like the ex that I can't get away from because everybody, every time he does something, they tweet me and be like, fam, get your boy. Um, here's the deal. Too many people have contacted me about the I want to retire a Clipper thing. Yes, Paul I'm George. taking all of Paul George's public comments with a grain of salt. That, but you have to. And this is the reason why. And this is why I just wish people would pay attention because I don't think because as much as the jokes fly, me and Paul George are not close. Like, <laughs> as much as the jokes fly, I don't know Paul George personally. That's not my man. Like, that's not my man. It's like, that's, I, I, I think he's one of the nicest people in the league based, ba- based on being around the league. But I don't know him like that. So anyway, reason why I say that is because I want people to listen because I don't think Paul George gave me any new information. When I interviewed Paul George, it was right after he signed back with OKC. And I told him, you did that midnight. So my whole thing was like, did you feel pressure from Russ? And threw a party. Or, yes. Like, did you cigars and everything. Like, did you throw – was Russ kind of looking at you like, fam, you leaving? Or was it like, – how did you get to that decision? Was it you didn't want to leave Russ? How was it? Paul told me straight to my face. He said, to be honest with you, I'm a very indecisive person. Yeah. He said, so if respect, I would have went respect. and visited the Lakers, I would have wanted to go. If I would have went and visited the Clippers, I would have wanted to go. He was like, if I would have went anywhere else, they could have had a chance to sway me. Yeah. So I didn't want to take any meetings. Nice guy, man. Nice guy, but he told me to my face that he's indecisive. So when Paul George says that he is in it for the long haul in Indiana, and then he says that he wants to – shut up. And then he says he wants to retire – as as a Thunder, and now saying that he wants to retire with his favorite hometown team uh, in the Clippers, similar to what Hoop just said, I take it with a grain of salt. I mean, the the man just told me to my face that he's indecisive. Yeah, and we already know that this season for the Clippers is honestly make or break. Not in the sense that their back is against the wall no, next summer, but if things don't get right. Quickly. That's probably going to be a recurring recurring theme on this show. But if things don't get right with them this season, yeah, it's a couple independent thinkers on that team that are going to go their separate ways. Independent thinkers is a nice way to put it. Um, we're actually going to get into some basketball talk hopefully by the end of this show, but let's go ahead and wrap up. reason why I brought up uh, Paul George when talking about Bryce was if you look at Paul George, his release is never the same. Like, Paul George, in my opinion, yeah, with mellow aging – Paul George Love is the jumper. smoothest player in the game. What I mean by that is every time Paul George takes a shot, I think it's going in. Every time Melo was when Melo was in his bag, anytime Melo took a jump shot, yeah. I thought it was water. So that's where I feel like everybody should kind of take me at my word. Like I'm mm-hmm. not saying <laughs> Bryce and Paul George, I'm not comparing the two, whatever, whatever. I'm talking about ability to change his shot. Mm-hmm. Paul George has a shot if Giannis is on him. He has a shot if Ricky Rubio is on him. Those shots are completely different. He has a completely different shot if he's wide open. So Paul George, excuse me, Paul Pierce was another person that was that way. You look at his jump shot and it's like it changes. Like it switches every now and again. So um that's what I kind of get when I see Bryce. I see somebody who um will probably not have a real set jump shot. Like yeah. you look at Paul George, you look at Paul Pierce, and it's like 2K status. What's what's yeah. the, what's their shot signature? Yeah. It changes. It's not really a set one. And kind of to their credit, it's because they have versatility and 100%. the ability to oh, I'm actually about to 
dribble out of this mm-hmm. like triple drop step and make create something. Exactly. So they, like they're not a specialist of just a shooter. Exactly. They got overall games and you know how the mind works. And it's funny that you say that because when you mentioned the triple threat, it's funny because I remember shout out to Coach Azam, Ed Azam in uh, Westchester High School because. And I believe that I dealt with the John Wooden of high school basketball, and mm-hmm. I stand by that. If you know anything about um, L.A. high school sports, Ed Azam in high school basketball, that's that's a legend. That's Phil Jackson-esque. So being able to be around him, being in his practices, just listening to him, he's chewed me out a million times. Um, in high school, watching him develop those players – I don't know how many times that I've watched coach run through certain things and chew in the players for not having their feet set right. And you may be listening to this wondering what I'm talking about. When Daryl said the triple threat, that means there's three things that I could do here. Mm -hmm. You should be worried about three things. I haven't even initiated my dribble yet. And you should be worried about three things. You should be worried about if I'm a pull right now, if I'm a blow by you and get to the cup, or if I'm a or if I'm a playmaker for somebody else to mm-hmm. facilitate the ball, might get hit with the screen. Never know. So I, I watch coach get, get into that and drill high school players about making sure their feet were set um, and, um, and in position for the triple threat. Here's the issue. It seems like UNLV coaches were telling Bryce that for at least a year and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I think there's yeah there's something there. He's he's seasoned. He's a bit more seasoned now. For sure, the game is probably slowing down for him. I think we can definitely think off the top just a, a couple instances where he got called for a traveling. For off, sure, off the catch. For sure, just because he's eager, he, he's gonna get it going. Or offensive foul being it, out of uh, control. Yo, yeah. Or leaving off of one foot, and we're, we're seeing the the poise right a bit more and. And we're just getting started. This dude averaged 21 in conference last year. First team. Second in the league. And that was coming into the conference play, not even the starting rotation. So Absolutely. So that's something definitely to, to, to hang your hat on. And I think the last point that I want to make so we can get off of UNLV uh, men's basketball is uh, Caleb Grill. You mentioned who is number three and who is this, why does he keep shooting all these different things. Caleb Grill is from, Wich- excuse me, from Wichita, Kansas. And – He's shown moments where he's not – or he's shown early this year where he's not afraid of the big moment. Mm -hmm. And I think going back to what we said before about Jonah Antonio, whenever we needed a big three, making sure that the ball was – it's always seemed that way because TJ's offense clearly works because the amount of open threes that they got last year, insane. Like the amount of open threes that Amari and Jonah had, unbelievable. So – you, now you look at this season, and you have a person like Marvin Coleman who's not necessarily a, a, a three-point threat, and then you have Bryce who creates most of his damage from penetration points. It it creates that avenue almost for who is going to be the shooter, especially yeah. if David Jenkins isn't knocking it down. Caleb or is if they're going to play him tight. Yeah, so True. yeah. Absolutely. So um, – we said all of that to say that UNLV is now 1-4 to start the season. They do have a two-game homestand yep. uh, beginning on Wednesday with Eastern Washington and then yep. ending on Monday with Pepperdine. Pepperdine. And then Mountain West play starts. So we shall see what happens in UNLV men's basketball. Over in the women's side, new head coach. 
Coach Lindy, and I'm and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce her last name right mm-hmm. now. Um, because I do not want to get it wrong. And uh, the reason why I said that is because we're going to have Duna on one of these episodes really, really soon. And Duna's the person who's uh, covering um, UNLV Lady Rebels here on campus. And um, they they took one on the chin yesterday. They took one on the chin yesterday to number two Stanford. Um, what are you going to do when you play the number two team in the nation? Yeah. Uh, but I, I will have Duna charge, on. You got to charge that one. <laughs> To the game. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and have Duna on in a couple of uh, weeks to ensure that everything is looking good in terms of uh, UNLV women's basketball. I do want to update you guys really quick on what's going on here. Yeah, we got a development situation. In New York and at MetLife Stadium. We got a situation. Oh, man. I'm not really sure what to say, how to say it, or What's going to come of it? 15 unanswered in the fourth by the Jets. Sam I am. Go ahead. Is is playing for his spot maybe, but the Jets are up 28-24 against the Raiders with 534 remaining in the fourth, and the Raiders have scored once in the second half. So the Raiders have been outscored 15-7 to in the second half, what Hoop just said, and um, the Jets actually just scored this touchdown on a one-yard run by Ty Johnson, running back formerly of the Detroit Lions. The Raiders fumbled the ball. I don't really know how else to say it. Henry Ruggs has earlier in, in the game, in, their own in the first quarter, mind you, in the first quarter for um, the Raiders after falling behind seven nothing. Derek Carr has the offense moving. Darren Waller is pretty much the focal point of that first drive, yeah. and then you have a short slant that literally bounces off the hands and if not face mask of Henry Ruggs, and it lands in the defender's arms for the Jets. And then we have on this third and six. Excuse me, allergies are tearing me up right now. Um, I, I I got a COVID test yesterday, guys. Just so you guys know, let me. I got my COVID test yesterday. I'm negative. Everything's great. Lovely. Um, so I just wanted to tell you guys that 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 nostril thing. Yeah, they can keep that. Um, but, shout out to the everybody that's having to frequently get that. Absolutely, and and. Prayers. Do what you got to do, man. And prayers and thank yous. Not enough thank yous enough to uh, all the first responders, all the uh, essential workers, um, just everybody. Everybody who's keeping this thing going. We appreciate you guys, and we wouldn't. We truthfully don't know where we would be without you. Um, Henry Ruggs had that mishap in the first quarter, and then he just had another one that might cost his team the game after fumbling in their own territory. So it looks like both of those turnovers. Not good. Might be on, might be on the not first round good. draft picks' hands. This um, is a game that you were not supposed to lose, so it's not over <sighs> yet. We'll see if Derek Carr can work some magic. And we shall see. And I'm actually lead us up, make sure we're catching all of this. Um, so we will give you guys an update on all of the scores once this Raider drive is over. Um, so yeah, so we went ahead and gave you guys some some UNLV sports. We gave you guys some basketball talk really quick. Well, before we get out of this first hour, let's wrap it up with UNLV football. Deal? Uh, yeah. I'm going to say deal. <laughs> I'm going to say deal now. Nah, you got it. Um, uh, All right, here we go. Um, UNLV football is 0-5 this season. Friday was supposed to be – uh, well, Friday, December 4th. Shout out to Jay. Shout out to Jay-Z. Happy belated. Um – Rest in peace, Fred Hampton. You guys know how my brain is. My brain yeah, definitely, goes, definitely. but rest in peace to Pimp C I as well. I some information this, this year about that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Just, you know, 
uh, Fred Hampton and Pimp C both passed away on December 4th as well. So I just want to go ahead and um, highlight those legends. Um, UNLV football, Friday, December 4th was supposed to be the team's season, uh, or excuse me, senior day or night. I'm not even sure what time the game was scheduled for. It doesn't matter because the game was canceled. Um, but that was supposed to be their senior day, senior night. And it hasn't taken place or it didn't take place because the game was postponed was or canceled. And here's the issue. I've been listening to a lot of the press box on ESPN and Tyler Bischoff and his co-host Adam can uh, Adam candy who's actually in for um, Ed Graney who was covering the Mount the Maui Invitational and then went actually he's in New York right now at MetLife watching the Raiders possibly cough up this game um but there's plenty of different things I want to talk about with this UNLV program and things like that. But Adam can uh, Adam Candy, excuse me, said one thing that was a red flag for me. And I don't know if it's because of all the things that we're dealing with behind the scenes with UNLV coverage and things of that nature. But um, Adam Candy said something along the lines of he, he just you know how he, he did something that I like to do. He went to the person who he's speaking about and he used their words and he went. And mentioned just a bunch of things that uh, Arroyo has said in the past about winning the pandemic, building a team around accountability, uh, being tough, things of the things of that nature. And then Adam went ahead and detailed that not only has UNLV football had positive COVID tests, they've had positive COVID tests that were not reported. Yeah, that's no bueno. Not only have there been positive tests, but in in the words of of Adam Can uh, Adam Candy, that's how we have canceled games now because you haven't been able to control or, or win the pandemic in in terms of what he said. Yeah. So <laughs> this is what I've said it before, and I'll say it. I'll say it again. If me and Tyler had a conversation, I would tell Tyler. Tyler has things or tweets things uh, out sometime that if you know sports, you just look at it and you go, Tyler, why? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Tyler tweets something like, John Gruden is down 11 points in the second half with 10 minutes to go, or in the uh, fourth quarter with 10 minutes to go, and he opts to punt from his 34-yard line. you damn right. Absolutely, I'm punting. What do you want me to do? You want me to hand it to yeah. him and let them run it to 14? What do you want me to do? Yeah. So sometimes Tyler tweets things that just literally makes no sense. It just literally makes no sense. You just want to be a combatant, and that's cool. Some some media yeah, people. Yeah, some people, that's their job. That's their, jo- that's their job. And I've learned from this, if, and this is something that he'll probably laugh at, I've learned from listening to him more so this week, mm-hmm. he does like that feeling of being the troll. Me personally, I just feel like as a grown man, especially with your profession sometimes, mm-hmm. you shouldn't troll because... Definitely a time to be serious about some Yeah, stuff. but not only that, if you're talking to somebody about UNLV being 0-5 and saying this has never happened in history, this has never happened in history, da 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 those are all facts. You saying that you're trolling is a lie. Yeah. You're not doing that. You're Because now the next person who's giving him facts, he's going to deem it as trolling. No, I'm reading what happened. So I think that's very, very dangerous to say that you're trolling. Why? Because, yeah, that's actively 
you know, not building, more so tearing down their image. The the person that you're covering? Yeah. I think it's tearing down yours. Likewise. There's a way to there's a way to recover there's a way to report news. And not even that. You there's a way to ability. report news and like you can I'm not telling you to not be yourself. Like be yourself. Make sure it comes through in your writing and your in yeah. your in your work all the time. But saying that you're trolling is just weird. Mm-hmm. Um but I do want to go ahead and say that he, <laughs> whatever it was, it got under the skin of Marcus Arroyo because Marcus Arroyo did block Tyler Bischoff on Twitter. Good for him. Good for, really? It's not good for him. I'm sorry. It's not good for him. As a person who, fam, we were talking about exes earlier. Now, this is a slight podcast conversation. If you guys know about my history, you guys know. We've talked about it on this radio show, I mean, on this podcast before, on the OD. I don't even have my ex blocked, fam. Yeah. She's blocked on social media, but her number's not blocked. Like, I'm not... I'm not going through, and the only reason why I blocked her on social media is because I don't, I don't need her popping up where I'm at, because that's happened before. So that's the only reason why I blocked her on that. Outside of that, for you to block somebody who's doing their job I see where for going. your team, what, what does that prove besides you're sensitive? Yeah, and it's getting under your skin, and you don't want to hear the truth. And not but only so that, if Tyler is a troll, why would you, why would you, why would you block him? All he's gonna do is go is go deeper into it now, and really quick before you even finish your point, let me actually add to this so you can have much more to take away from it. The following day, because he he didn't even realize he was blocked, he looked at it and was like, "Wow, I'm blocked," and he wanted to know which tweet it probably was. Getting blocked is such a it's hilarious milestone. For, it's if hilarious, that was your bro. goal, or like if that's what you're really putting yourself your energy into, because you were like, "Oh, I got through." That, but see, that's the thing. That's kind of what he wanted. Like, yeah. he said that's what he wanted. Like, it's better for him. I just feel like you've... People can do what they want with their sports reporting. I just think it's weird to cover a team and have a goal to get blocked by the coach. Call it what you want. Maybe it was just banter for the radio. We know how that goes. Yeah. Whatever. If that's I the mean, case, but cool. What I, what, I, what I would have to say about that is it's kind of... A reflection of how I felt about this college season so far, mm-hmm. which is why when you say you want to go to UNLV football, I'm like, eh, <laughs> not really just because of them. We know they're not a powerhouse. It's all good. Right. And shout out, we got no, we know people on the team. Shout out to y'all. Keep working. But the NCAA is, we know how they are. Right. It's just really put these guys in a tough position because even like how I just juxtaposed that with basketball, mm-hmm. I said it felt the most normal because the college basketball team can very easily move as one. Absolutely. And protect themselves and go about their day, mm-hmm. go about their business. That's impossible for a college football team to do. Mm-hmm. A 50, 60 players plus 20, 30 coaches plus right. another handful of necessary people. So I don't put the onus on – Anybody individually, because this is ridiculous times. I have very mixed feelings about the pandemic. Right. But it's tough because do you, do we waste our, our youth? Do we waste our, our eligibility and, and not exactly. play when we don't know when we might get the chance again? Or do we suck it up? Do we risk contracting the virus? Like All of this are wild thoughts of mine that mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of being in their shoes. Right. So I couldn't imagine what I would do if I was, you know, a player right now because it's a big decision to make. And I would probably lean on, no, I'm good. I'm good on this. Right. So it is – it's tough because they're not given 
the means to do what they need to do like professionals are. Right. So we're holding them to a professional standard when it's just not fair. But nothing in life is fair. Right. So that is what it is. That's how I feel about it. it it's nasty. It, it especially when you're playing for a losing season anyway. Right. Like it's it's just not great. Now this is his first year. We didn't know what we were going to get. They're playing at Allegiant Stadium, so the the pandemic took away took away all but, types of practice time and things that at meeting time and know, things like that. And it's just tough to to make it out. And I, they're somewhat halfway through, but then you got games canceled, right? Rescheduled. It's not ideal whatsoever, right? And I don't know if you're covering that as immediate. Let's not poke holes at that. Yeah. Let's well, not make light of it, you know. Let's not. At the same time, too, I tell people all the time, like, like I had. Granted, it was in high school, but I had um, a person who transferred, and I think I told this story on air before. But I had a person who transferred, uh, a, a player from, who transferred from San Diego, I believe it was, and um, <laughs> shout out to Zach, and he was shit. Zach might be six eleven. Mm. And came over, maybe 6'10", and came over, and, of course, his school didn't want to lose him. So they, they made him sit out, a, sit out a season. And Westchester had one of their okay years. They had one of their okay years. And um, in the midst of that, you heard the murmurs begin. Oh, well, next season when we get Zach, if, if you just add Zach to this team, this is impossible. We're not going to lose. da 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 and me and Zach have had multiple conversations about it. Like Zach said, in San Diego, there was a different level of competition. I wasn't playing Taft and Fairfax and Dorsey, mm-hmm. and I wasn't playing Gardena right. High School. This is a little different. And Zach didn't pan out to what everybody expected him to pan out to. He panned out to something because he went to UCSD. So shout out to Zach. But it wasn't Westchester, as I said before, I feel like our head coach is the John Wooden of high school basketball. There's a certain energy that comes with that basketball team it was so awkward because Zach because he was um because he had to sit out that first year me and Zach rode to the games together mm-hmm. and that was the season that he didn't play so that following year for him to read some of my stories and the stories is like Zach continues to kind of be a disappointment that was my first time to be like, oh, this is one of my moments where, like, you I'm going to find yeah. out what this really is. Yeah. And I went to Zach one day, and I was like, yo, like, I know you've heard it. Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, I hope you realize that my job is to detail the story, literally. You you and me, we talk. So whether I think you're good or not, it don't matter because what happened on the court happened on the court. And what yeah. people said, people said so I'm going to go up, I'm going to go about my business. I believe at 16 or 17 years old, Zach looked me right in my face and said, "Bro, comes with the territory. I'm I'm fine." I'm sure. Me and him used to laugh about some of the stuff. So that let me know at the age of 17 I, I you you've you've witnessed it. People for the longest thought I had an issue with Sanchez. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell the story. If you get irritated by it, I'm going to find it funny. Why? Like it, like I can't yeah, we're get all mad. Adults, at, we're all adults. Exactly. Bro. Similar. I know we keep talking about this, but it's Paul George's fault. People ask me about my ex. I can't get mad, bro. Like 
What do you want me to do? Yeah, yeah you right. Yo, facts. I could choose how I want to answer it, but I can't get mad about it. It happened. Mm-hmm. You chose that person. That's on you. So anyway, um, I find that funny because when he said that he didn't know why he got blocked, he said he thought it was one of two tweets. Mm-hmm. He said one tweet said UNLV, uh, there it has been 285 days since UNLV last won a game. Yeah, dude, like the dude. campus, like I, the entire. I saw that. If you know the pandemic, you know that it's a little watered down of a stat. But then when you still see the stat, it's like, yo, that's nuts. That's a wild stat. You almost went a full year without any wins. Um, and it's crazy because this is where I did kind of take the, the pat on my back. Nasty. When UNLV said, um, or uh, what did they say? When um, <laughs> when he said that uh, the last time that they did win was March 8th, basketball or baseball, sock, uh, softball, and tennis won. Mm-hmm. I covered baseball that day. So that's why it was part of a pat on my back. It was like, you guys haven't won since I left. No, I'm just playing. But uh, I seen I seen Mark Anderson tweet the same thing from the RJ. So um, I said that because he said that was the first tweet. And I didn't think that was the one that got him blocked. He went to the second tweet, myself, Adam, and I'm sure some other people believe this was the tweet. Tyler said something along the lines of, UNLV football has always been bad. Like, historically bad. But... Five games in, for them to have, I think he might have gave a stat. He was like, it's kind of unbelievable how bad this team is under Marcus Arroyo. And his his co-host Adam was like, ding, 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 ding. It's that one. That one got you blocked. But it goes back to my thing of, why would you say that you're trolling? Yeah, It's the truth. We haven't had a 0-5 Mountain West start and we lost every game by at least 13. No, they're not. They're nothing to look at. So that's where I have an issue with Tyler by saying you're trolling. That's why I tell people all the time. I'm not saying him specifically, but I tell you that all the time. I tell Duna that all the time. It's been told to me. Steve, shout out to Steve White from NFL Network. If you say something, stand on it. Like I tell people all the time, at the end of the day, the worst thing that you can have is a moment of uncomfortableness. Moment of awkwardness. That's it. Yeah. 95% of the times you're not going to come to blows over none of this stuff. No. So stand in what you say. That's why I have an extreme problem with the I'm trolling. Mm-hmm. Because now if it's I put that really in my story, I'm not trolling. Because all you do is water down the overall content of. You water down your work doing your, that. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Period. Definitely. It's funny because a cool little quick analogy I'll make. I was I was listening to uh, Bill Simmons podcast. Don't forget your point, Bill Simmons podcast. The Raiders just scored a touchdown from Finally, nine yards out on they? fourth and third, but it was taken away by an offensive holding call. So it's fourth down again. It's looking like it's going to be fourth down again. I'm not sure where they're moving the ball out to because they caught a break on fourth and short in within the ten yard line. Where they had incompletion, but they got a defensive holding call to give them the new set of downs. Oh, okay. So, so there you go. Ball don't lie, I guess. Well, there you go. Look at that. Where well, the Raiders are looking at it. Wait a minute. The Raider. No. So we actually just watched the play, ha- or we watched the game uh, cast right now. 
And it was a fourth and third from the uh, nine-yard line. So I believe what happened was there was offsetting penalties. So you had to replay fourth down from the same position, fourth and third from the nine. And Derek Carr's pass is incomplete to Nelson Aguilar. The Jets take over with the four-point lead with under two minutes to go. The Raiders have two timeouts. One, maybe two first down. Actually, one first down in this game, and it's probably over, depending on when you get it. So go ahead and go back to your point about Bill Simmons. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just hold it in real quick. But no, nah, so, I don't know what's going on with well, this. Well, it was game. cool. He had uh yeah, Jackie McMullen on. Jackie Mack. And she was re- recounting a story when she worked was working in Boston with KG. Mm-hmm. Their first interaction, you know, you said KG's a bully. And if you don't stand up to the bully, the bully's gonna know that you don't he's not gonna have your respect. Absolutely. So the first time she interrupted him pregame, you know, he snapped and she barked back. So they had a mutual respect for each other. Straight up. So then down the line, you know, he, he was starting to age in Boston and he missed some time in the playoff series. And he to tell me something. He worked a relationship with the world. You kind of just, yo, leave me alone. I, I'm me. I don't care. You do you. I'm me. But she's like, yo, do you want to work with me here? Because if not, I got to run with this story that mm-hmm. you're washed. Yeah. Because that's what they're giving me. And right. that's what we're seeing. So if you want to work with me, we can, you know, give the real spill. But if not, I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. shout out to her because I thought that was a very, you know, insightful look into doing some hardcore journalism. 100%. Do you, do you want a story with the first person response with a very factual information? Or do right. you want to just run with what you're given? Do you want to let people tell your story? Like, that's kind of where I, I – that's literally I've, – I've approached stories a million different ways. I've had to interview politicians. I've had to interview high-ranking city officials. I've had to interview coaches. I've had to interview musicians, label-make producers. Like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. When you're interviewing those people, if I ever get to a point to where I feel like I'm going to say something that you're going to disagree with – like, I'll put it this way. I've had a conversation with Juice. Me and Juice, now that he's graduated, me and Juice, we – we were cool when he was here. Um, I hit up Juice when he didn't show up to uh, TJ's press conference. And because me and him were close, I let him know beforehand, I'm running my story regardless. Travell said he had class. You can argue whether that's true or not. I was like, Travell said he had class. Uh, forgot who else wasn't there. And I was like, the only, and he had his reason. I was like, the only other one is you. So if you don't give me a reason, yeah, I'm going to say that you just wasn't there. And he left me on scene. It's going to look away. And that was the first time he's ever left me on scene. He responds. Yeah. So when he left me on scene, I said, that's his way of telling me, do it. Do what you want. That's fine. Mm-hmm. There's a reason. And I told people from the jump, when, when as soon as they fired Marvin Menzies, I said, Juice won't be here next year. And everybody was like, why? I said, because if you know anything about Juice, it's honor first. Yeah. The way they did Menzies, ain't no way he's coming back. Yeah. So that let me know everything. So I that's one of those moments where you kind of you kind of tell them this is what's gonna get printed unless you give me something else to work with. I've told politicians, I've told Tommy Lauren is one of those people for a fact that I've told. This is what's gonna run. You can speak, or you can determine if Tommy Lauren refused to comment sounds better. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'll tell everybody. I've, I've told Sanchez that. If you don't want to answer, cool. But if you feel like Sanchez refused to decline the comment, sounds better, you like it, I love it. 
Yeah, because it's almost like, you know, your Miranda rights. Anything you say can and will be used against you. So if you give me something, I'm going to have another something to use. If you give it to me, so I'm going to put wanna, it in You want to clean it up? You want to dig a bigger hole? You want to leave it alone? You want to let them do? talk? What you want to do? How you want to rock it? But again, that's kind of just, just where I'm messenger. at. That's where I'm at with it right now. I'm a, we actually going to get off of UNLV football. They they won't be getting too much time, especially since they didn't play this week. Yeah. They are 0-5. Um, do have one more game. I'm not sure if that game is going to be played. It's against Hawaii, at Hawaii. We shall see if UNLV will come away with, a, um, with one win in the season or if they will have an, a winless season. The Raiders. Speaking of winless. <laughs> this week Speaking of went this. for me ahead of this game. I woke up this morning and I could have turned it on, but I was like, I don't want to. I could it right on. I don't. I, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait and see how it's going. Just because midway through the week, I was the thought crept in. I was like, oh my, are we gonna be the Jets' first win of the season? Right now, this team is. And we're 19 <laughs> seconds away from that. 19 seconds away, and they're at the Jets' 46 yard line. Another incomplete pass uh, deep down the middle to Nelson Aguilar. We'll see if Derek Carr has some more heroics in him. Uh, in him. He already, what, led a, a, a game, or since a game winning, but a um, touchdown drive against the Chiefs in Allegiant Stadium to take the lead late. Yeah. Or what was it, to tie the game late? Yeah. Only for them to go ahead and uh, do what they did. I think they no might have timeouts, the 19 seconds. They're on, they're right around midfield. It's reproaching Hail Mary time. So, you know. And I see the way this is working out. The way that this the way that this radio show is, we're slightly over an hour now. I'm not sure if we're going to get to NBA talk. As you guys are aware, we mentioned a couple of trades that happened, I believe, two weeks ago. Um, we mentioned the draft. We know that um, this preseason will be starting, I believe, on the 11th. So um, everything will be starting up, but we will have another show, I believe, before the season starts up. I believe before the season starts up. So I definitely got some. I got definitely got time one. to talk about that trade. Oh, not and, definitely. And some, and some well, I think what I want to do, I might want to yeah. do a separate show. I might want to do an NBA show and we'll do something separate. Um, but going ahead and getting into that, one thing that uh, that uh, Daryl said earlier that I thought was interesting, you said that college basketball is the one thing that seems the same. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. So we just got really quiet in here for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll break the silence. Derek Carr, 46-yard touchdown to Henry Ruggs. What a way to make up for it. The same Ruggs with two big turnovers <laughs> comes away. Now, let me go find this play. Yes, Let me go play. find this play. But really quick, let's say that the Raiders do win because now the Raiders are up three with five seconds left and they're kicking the ball back to the Jets. They're probably going to squib it in the middle of the field and see what happens. However... Is this – this isn't a good win, right? A, a win, win is a win. win. <laughs> a win is a win. Um, you definitely want that tally going in the win column. This is not a good win. It's not. It's disgusting. But – This is so bad. I, I find this very Gruden-esque. Very <laughs> – like Ugly win. <laughs> Hey, just win, baby. No, facts. Don't just blow them out. Facts. Just win. Just we'll get the win. It. Oh my gosh! So Hoop is looking up this uh, play right now, and actually, can you touch that side for me? My eyes are. Whew, I need to get my eyes checked. Derek Carr drops back, steps up in the pocket, moving forward. Oh my gosh! On the go, in stride to Henry Ruggs, who beats his man one on one, going down the left sideline. And you just mentioned it, beat Ooh, his man going one on one. Got him. That's what they got him for. So they got him to take these big plays downfield, and not necessarily. Um, 
have to do those yeah, short being slants. Every down and, receiver. Right. They you don't, wanted, in short, if they want, if he could be a Tyreek Hill for them, that and not to his prolific standard. If he could. But if he could be a weapon like Tyreek Hill for them, that was like, you know what? This is going to be us getting a great player or overall well-balanced player. Shout out to Mike Mayock and John Gruden for that that pick coming through. But like you said, this isn't nothing to write home about. I don't think. <laughs> um, but, I mean, but delivering, is that's something to build off of. Most definitely. And I'm, I'm interested to see what the conversation is going to be after this. Because if the You're Raiders the were... Yeah, but if the Raiders were upset that they lost after putting 32 points up at home against KC that when Mahomes needed a game-winning drive and they hung their head after that and was visibly upset, things of that nature, I feel like I bet not see no Raiders happy about this win. You can't On to the next one. Yeah, like you got to be like, we were supposed to win, we did – not the way it's supposed to look, but whatever. It is what it is. And that's kind of what I'm was, what i hoping we get from the Raiders postgame. We'll see what happens. To give you guys a quick little rundown of everything else that's happening from this morning, um, Cincinnati, I'm watching at the top. You're good. Uh, Cincinnati has the ball right now, but they are trailing in Miami 19-7 to with under, well, actually, with over seven minutes to go. Uh, the Tennessee Titans have a 28-31, to or excuse me, a 28-41 to deficit that they're looking up at. They're probably not coming back from that. It's about a minute, 15 seconds left. Um, The Minnesota Vikings have the ball at Jacksonville's 33-yard line with 23 seconds left. That ball game is knotted up at at 24. We shall see if um, the Vikings are able to keep Jacksonville from uh, securing their second win of the season, which would be a huge upset. And then over in this NFC South, I tell you all the time, it doesn't matter about records or anything like that, but New Orleans has a 21-16 lead over Atlanta, and Atlanta has the ball with nine seconds left from New Orleans' 39-yard line. A field goal doesn't get it done, so we'll see what this team opts to do. In terms of other games that are finished from this morning, um, the Lions came back and did what I anticipated that they would do. And they did come away with a 34-30 to win over Chicago in Chicago. Mitchell Trubisky was the quarterback for them. Hard to say what's going to happen with they Matt Nagy. 30. Still hard to say yeah. what's going to happen with Matt Nagy and, and Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, whether he'll even be there next season and things of that nature. Um, and then also in another divisional battle, another rivalry, uh, the Indianapolis Colts came away with a 26-20 to win over the Houston Texans. And that game just went final for MetLife, and the Raiders came away with a 31-28 to win over the Jets. The Jets dropped to 0-12. The Raiders improved to 7-5, 5-2 on the road. Um, where are we headed to next? We said Combat Sports was next, right? I think that's where we're ending it now. We're ending the show with Combat Sports Talk. I would hate to uh, – I didn't get to see much at all of that fight last night. Either I, one? I got off, man. I worked like an eight-hour shift yesterday. Shout I got out. off and read some tweets and realized – I didn't know what was going on with nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, this is this isn't this isn't fun. Nah, show sure <laughs> enough. This isn't, but so wait, 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 you talking about boxing and mixed martial arts? I didn't catch it, but like okay. I, I've seen what, what's happened. Wait, in both? Yeah. In both. Okay, cool. So I'm gonna start with um boxing and I'm gonna start with the PBC, Premier Boxing Champions. I'm gonna start with Errol Spence Jr. Because I feel like that's what we need to do. Definitely. Round of applause. <laughs> Round of applause. You know what? And that's another thing that we're trying to bring back when we go to Westgate. 
I want my my uh, my drops back. <laughs> I want my drops back. 100%. So I'm going to do my own round of applause yes, sir. for Errol Spence Jr. Because he did make his return back to the uh, square circle last night. Uh, and he retained his IBF and WBO uh, welterweight titles against Danny Garcia. Here's the deal. I've, like most boxing fans, I've been waiting to see Errol Spence Jr. make his return to the ring for quite some time. And in the midst of doing it, or in the midst of wanting it, um, how can I put it? I've been in a car accident before, not to that nature, not to that level at all. And I had some sort of like growing pains, whether it was driving again, whether it was, I had a, a stretch where I still tasted the airbag, like powder, like the dust from the airbag. So every time I got in, it's 100%. So every time I got in a car for like three months, four months after that, I kept telling my dad, I was like, I taste the airbag. And my dad was like, you don't taste the airbag. You're panicking. Like, relax. And one can only imagine what happens when you get back into your profession, but your profession happens to be a brutal sport like boxing. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen um, in terms of I guess the word was reactions. That's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for the first time that Danny Garcia hit Errol Spence Jr. And I wanted to see what his reaction would be. To Errol Spence Jr.'s credit, that didn't really happen. I seen a stat last night, and I, I, I don't know how many stats I've looked yeah. at in terms of boxing. But I don't remember the last time a fighter went the full distance and landed 4% of their jabs. That's a, that's a glaring stat. Danny Garcia landed 14 jabs in a 12-round fight. Where Spence definitely had the jab rocking. We cut the live stream off right now, but just to put it, I just, just stared at I just it. stared at who? Spence landed 20% of his jabs. How many did he land? Did it, did it tell you? Uh, total punches landed was one. See, it was, it's on my notes. Wait, wait, wait. I have it here. Don't worry about it. Don't even, don't even worry about it. it was Spence oh. landed 84. Yep. He landed 84 jabs. Yep. So here's the deal. If you watch that fight, I'm going to give you guys a quick little breakdown again. If you go to Talk That Talk Radio, that story is up and posted to the site as well. But Earl Spence Jr., I noticed for the first half of the fight, he was digging to the body. Like, I thought for the first two rounds, maybe he would go to the body and then work high, work high, low, work high, low. For the first half of the fight, I'm witnessing him attack the body. And I'm like, okay, of course, the combinations are varying, some high, some low, but majority of his work is to the body. Earl, Earl Spence Jr. landed 187 punches last night, 76 of which went to the body. I remember watching the fight. And if I recall correctly, it was Roy Jones and Winky Wright. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about Winky Wright, Winky Wright's defense was something that you were not getting through 90% of the time. My dad is like the perfect person to tell this story, but for the first, I want to say five or six rounds, it looked like Roy was missing. Because Roy kept hitting Winky in his shoulders. Mm-hmm. 
And it looked like it was like looked like Roy was missing. Until the seventh, eighth, maybe it was the ninth round. That blood must have all rushed to the shoulders. Cause by the end of the fight, Winky couldn't hold his guard high. And Roy began to pick him off. When Errol Spence Jr. took control of the center of the, uh center of the ring in um the seventh round, I watched Arrow throw out a jab that looked way more crisp than it did in the first round. Mm. And by the about halfway point of that first or that uh seventh round, I watched Arrow take a take a step back and I looked at Danny Garcia's hands. They were no longer high. Yeah, he was worried about it now. Uh oh. Got him where I want. You know how much I play UFC. Come on. If you you can if you break through with the body, family. Oh my gosh. It's not looking good for you. I, what I will say is, if you know anything about boxing, Danny Garcia is already a dog. I knew that this was going to be a grueling fight like that. I didn't expect Danny to miss as much as he did, which, again, I'm not saying that Danny looked bad. Earl looked great. And that's kind of where I'm going, where I'm leaning towards it. Um, that's that's one of the like most artistic things about boxing, though. It's such a chess match. 100%. And it's one of the most primal spe- like spectacles as, as a sport. Mm-hmm. It's two people in a ring. Yeah. But it's so technical. It, it's so cat and mouse. Mm. It's so, like, poker face. Like, all of that is what we're really watching Absolutely. round by round. And I'm about to catch up to speed real quick with this fight. But Yeah, definitely. I, I'm happy that he got the win, man. I, I am. Definitely. And Spence, uh, post-fight, he went ahead and apologized to all the viewers, and he said that everybody would have to – be patient with him. Patience is one the one thing that he asked for, citing uh, ring rust. He was saying that there was some ring rust, that it was a lot of things that he did in there that uh, wasn't up to par, and he he felt like he needed to get that together. A lot but of people I was, took a warm-up fight. It, and that's where I was going. I, I will admit, I was worried when he came back and said he was fighting Danny Garcia. I was like, I wouldn't fight him first. Like, not first. Like, I'll fight him, but not now. <laughs> like, give me a second. <laughs> Um, but I mean that that just goes to show about Errol Spence Jr. similar to what Michael Chandler is doing in the UFC at lightweight, similar to what he said during uh UFC two fifty four. I said I, I am who I am, so we're either gonna find out that I'm a fraud really quick or we're gonna find out that I was absolutely right really quick. So when when he said that, there was only one moment where I was like, Okay, he didn't look good here. He didn't necessarily look good here. And that was the 10th round. And it wasn't anything that Arrow did bad in the 10th round. I think that's when fatigue kind of started to set in for Arrow. And it was that, if you, if you know about the fight, I mean, if you think about the fight, that's 30 minutes. So now when you get Yo. to that 10th round, Mark, it's like, fam, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you, it, it was a little bit of Earl just, just playing defense. This is what I was trying to do earlier, but now I just got to gotta hang in there. Yeah, now <laughs> I'm just trying to chill and just, just – Give me, give, give me to this next one. Yeah, give me to this, give me to these last two rounds. And Danny went on the offensive in the in the tenth round. Um, I actually gave him that tenth round. I think when I finished everything up, I think I had it ten to two, Spence. Um, I think he lost the f- was it the fifth round maybe, and the what did I have? I think I, I, I know I gave DG the tenth. 
So anyway, let's just say he won one or two rounds. Um, it was interesting to see people on Twitter have their store, uh, have their cards and stuff afterwards too. I seen one card that was one fifteen, one thirteen, for Earl Spence Jr. And you don't think in any fashion it was that close? You landed four percent of your jabs. No, I think Danny will tell you no. Even if you're saying, yeah, that's not a defensive victory. That's you not fight a... behind your jab. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I don't, I don't think you can make an argument for it. I truthfully don't. Um, and the thing is, Danny has lost decisions before where he has gone on record that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Has he said it yet? No, I didn't think so. It's been a, it's been a graceful loss. I didn't think so. How do you argue that you won a fight and you landed 4% of your jabs? You landed 14 jabs in 12 rounds. I mean, you barely touched me. Like, and it's not like he wasn't throwing. We're boxing, so we're gonna, our gloves are going to connect to each other. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm six feet away from you. You barely touched me. So it, we literally are, we essentially, at one point in time, there was a time when they were literally toe-to-toe. Like, I don't know if uh, how many people know no, I have not been, but um, Juven, Juvie, there's a thing called lock up. And I, t- I told you this before, the closest person that you're with, you step a foot into the tire, the first person to move their foot loses. So there were yeah. moments where they were they were in that. They were in that um in that tire, essentially, yeah. and they were locked in. They were in that phone booth. For you to be that close and still not be able to come away with punches, like I said, Danny Garcia is a world-class fighter, a former two-division champion. Not very many people are going to be able to stand in front of him and not get hit. Errol Spence Jr. did it last night. Without uh, being in shape. Without yeah, being in fight shape. That's the scary part. Let's like, say. What's, what, does, what does Earl Spence not in shape do? Or, excuse me, what does Earl Spence in shape do last night? Yeah. Danny's never been knocked out, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to be go that far to be like you would have knocked him out. But what would that output have looked like? It's hard to say. It's hard to say, but I will say. A lot of rounds. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't think I don't think he would have slowed in the tenth round. So everybody was asking what was what was next for him. Of course, it it sucks to say it, but in that fight in the fight game, it's so weird because you get through you you do a three six month training camp, whatever the case may be. You can do a shorter training camp, especially if you took the fight on late notice. A person like this, I mean, a, a fight like this. Danny took a fight in January of this year, but. He was next for Earl Spence before his accident 14-plus months ago. Mm-hmm. So, Danny, he's had multiple training camps. But let's say Danny has been prepping for this for a year plus. Errol clearly has been planning for it for a year plus. Again, I'm not sure how much it changes if they fight then. But if this story or outcome was to change at all. The only thing that I'm leaning towards changing is Arrow's output. Yeah, it's the finish. Not it's even not a the, finish. Not, the decision. not even a finish. But yeah. I don't necessarily feel like you said the finish meaning what? Meaning maybe Meaning his finish. Yeah. Like oh, the yeah, scorecard, yeah. the just not the decision. Yeah. The but decision would have been the same, but it would have looked a little different, I feel like. I feel like it would have been more of out in in his defense, maybe he would have took more punches. Mm-hmm. Because now, I mean, coming off the injury, I mean, yeah, coming off the accident, maybe you don't want to take that much damage. The game is always to not take damage in he boxing. Very, this very well could be a turning point in his in his style, right? Because they've always talked about how strong his chin was. Now, if he gets to a point where you can't touch his chin, 
Yeah. What happens next? So everybody is asking what happens next. And of course, like I said, you 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 take so long for these fights and these camps and things of that nature. Um they asked Arrow what was next for him, and he said, of course, he wanted to rest up and he wanted to heal and 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 go from there. But oh, let me highlight this really quick. He mentioned that he was going to go home to his ranch. I just think that that's important to say because if you know about Errol Spence Jr. and that accident uh, when he flipped his Ferrari, um, scary, really scary. We in the, in the boxing community, um, a lot of prayers going up for Errol Spence, just a lot of silence, a lot of just all eyes, no no words for a really, really long time in terms of uh, that. So it was great to hear him say that he was um, going to return home and and uh, go to his ranch and just relax and do a little bit of that. Because at 30 years old, he said that that accident showed him what was important in life, which was spending time with family, um, just, you know what I mean, creating memories that last Much and things of that nature. 100%, 100%. And just to imagine, he went through that, what, I think October 10th. Something like, yeah. October 10th of 2019. I don't want to be wrong. It happened in October of 2019. So to know that he went from that to end his 2019 to come into a pandemic year, still be having to recover from that from those um, from that accident, just things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it was different to see. But of course, everybody in boxing is calling for the, the super fight. They're calling for Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Bud Crawford, who I have admitted. I believe uh, Crawford is the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I've said that before. I've said that for probably a, almost two years now. Um, I would feel no ways if uh, Errol Spence took one first before that. The question would be who, but uh, yeah, that's the question. Who who else is out there for him? Right and now? deserving, but or not to take your time. I think they've been taking their time. Like that's Gosh. the point. You see, ready to see it? This is I'm, I'm ready. I've been ready, so I've, I'm ready to see what happens. Um, Bud was actually in the building. Um, Bud coming off of a fourth round TKO victory over Kell Brook last month. Um, Bud is 37 and 0 with 27 knockouts. Spence is now 27 and 0 with 21 knockouts. Who knows what happens? Who knows if it works? If it doesn't work, I do think it was interesting to see this though. During the press conference for uh, Danny Garcia and Errol Spence Jr., um, what the first question went to Danny G, and they said, uh, you've been calling Errol out for two years, whatever the case may be. You've been waiting for this moment. You finally get to put your hands on him, whatever, whatever. Like, what's, what's, your, what's your thought process now? Before Danny even had the chance to answer the question, Errol grabbed the mic and was like, hold on, wait a minute. He, like, he can answer that. That's cool. But we not finna push this narrative that I've, that people been calling me out for two years. Ain't nobody called me out for two years. Like, we're going to have to dead that. He said, hey, relax. He was like, we're going to have to dead that. He was like, it's been maybe a year. And Danny Garcia, when he started speaking, he finish, was like, but... right. When Danny Garcia started talking, he was like, I'm, he was like, yeah, I called him out a year. Well, yeah, it, almost a year ago now. So I was like, yeah, and it was Errol accepted. was right. And it was accepted. Errol was right. Because <laughs> he was like, hold on, fam. We can push the narrative. Ain't nobody been calling me out for two, for two years. Nobody has said my name for two years. So I said all of that to say. Bud's been saying it for a year, right? So my whole thing is based on Earl. So I'm not saying he's scared, okay. but see, I'm saying going, yep. he's not gonna let Bud call him out for two years. Is my point? Yeah. So that fight has to happen next. Is, is where I'm going. All signs will indicate that. 
and probably 2021. If it doesn't, of course. In who am I pointing the finger at? But probably, probably, yeah. I don't know who I'm pointing the finger at if it doesn't work. Most people are gonna point the finger at Bob Arum because that's the most famous name, and Bob Arum, or and, yeah, and Bob Arum didn't get Pacquiao Crawford to happen. So I'm sure a lot of people are not are gonna feel like if it doesn't happen, it's Bob Arum. But again, who knows? Um, I know one person who does not like Bob Arum. <laughs> and that's Dana White. Um, good gosh, man. Dana don't never let Bob Arum get away with nothing, bro. Like, Bob Arum can't breathe around Dana. Before we get into mixed martial arts and a crazy middleweight main event last night between Marvin Vittori and Jack the Joker Hermanson, let me give you guys a quick little update of the scores from, um, from around the NFL. Um... Do we have any other games conclude from this morning? No. We had a couple. Yeah, because uh, Minnesota and oh, Jackson- okay, one. Minnesota and Jacksonville are in overtime. Five minutes remaining in overtime. and It would be so ugly. You said tied up 24. It would be so ugly if this game ends in a tie. Yeah, the Vikings would love to pull one out and <laughs> keep their playoff chances alive. I hope they don't. <laughs> Jacksonville has no incentive to win. Hey, shout out <laughs> to Sam Gordon. Who is from yeah. Minnesota? Shout out, Sam. There we go. Um, good luck with your season. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out, y'all. Bye with the Jags. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, the Miami Dolphins did come away with a, did come away with a nineteen to seven win over the Cincinnati Bengals, and then the Titans made it as close as they could. Well, I shouldn't say close as they could, but they made it as tight as they could. I should say. Yeah. Um, they did score fourteen unanswered points in that third or in that fourth quarter, which brings their second half total to twenty eight to three. But Baker was carving them up so bad in the first half that that three points took them to 41. So the Browns hang 41 on the Titans, and that Titans was supposed to be a team that was led by a great defense, right? Somewhat. somewhat. Baker Mayfield just put up 41 in Nashville, and now the Browns are 9-3. and three. When's the last time the Browns had a winning season? Well, 2020 is now your answer. Oh, I think that locked them into the playoffs. It might have. That well, Not, not clinched. Division? Not clinched. Oh. Officially. Pittsburgh. Never mind. But. In terms of the AFC, they're, they're it's looking they're good. Pretty. It's pretty. looking good for sure. So we'll see what happens the rest of the way through. Just give you guys a quick little update on the one o'clock games. The two one twenty five games that have started are both scoreless. The Eagles are visiting the Packers in Lambeau Field, and the New England Patriots have the ball with over ten minutes to go from SoFi Stadium against the Chargers. Um, go ahead, back to the other one o'clock games. I think it's only two of them. Yeah. So the Rams are down in Arizona, seven and nothing to the Cardinals. Um, that game has under six minutes to go in that first quarter, and then the last one o'clock game for today. We have the Seahawks with a 3-0 lead over the Giants in Seattle. That game has about four minutes to go in that first quarter. Cole McCoy. You know what's funny? I'll say this real quick because my dad is going to laugh. Go ahead. Um, I forgot which Madden this was. This was like Madden 16, 17. Who cares? And mm-hmm. me and my dad was playing random teams. And I got the Washington football team. So I was like, okay, cool. This is dope. I'm like, I'm lit. I know my defense. I, I got some some highlighters on my defense. I think this is when um this is when uh Deshaun Golson might have been there. So I was like, okay, cool. I got something. Mm-hmm. First thing I thought about was I don't know what they have on the offensive end. Like, I don't know who my quarterback is. Man, the game started. My dad was whoever he was. I was like, fam, I got Kirk Cousins. My dad just looked at me and laughed, and I started Colt McCoy. <laughs> So every time I see Colt McCoy, I kind of laugh, but it's like, fam, on Madden, when I had Kirk Cousins starting, I was like, give me Colt. 
I'll figure the rest out. Um, I think I won that game with Coke, by the way, too. Um, so let's go ahead and break this down really quick. Uh, you guys have been with us since the 12 o'clock hour, so we appreciate you guys. We're over an hour and a half in straight through. This is something uh, similar that we do. This is something uh, regular for us. I don't know exactly where to start with UFC, uh, with the UFC um, Vegas 16, only because for the sixth straight card, UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship has experienced changes to their cards. Yeah. Sixth straight card. And Dana White said something that was, <laughs> it sounds crazy to say, but it was profound because it was so simple. We we talk about it all the time, and like one of the keys in journalism is don't end your story. And everybody's like, what? And they're like, don't end your story. Like, you don't need to wrap up your story by saying UNLV looks to avoid an 0-5 start with da-da-da-da. If you're done telling your story, just don't write anymore. Yeah. <laughs> just be done. So I say all of that to say you don't need to say the most – like, you don't need to do the most for it to be the most profound thing. And that's what I mean when I say that Dana White said one thing this week that told the story. He said his goal is to just get through 2020. I said, fam, not that we think this pandemic is going to stop come January 1st, but I feel him. At this point, 2020 has been one of those years. It's just like, just get through it. Just get through it alive and healthy. Whoever can fight can fight. At this point, we'll worry about <laughs> shaking things up next year. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we're just trying to close this year out without any more drastic changes. So I feel him on, on, on that regard. Here's the deal. Marvin Vittori was one of the changes, but he was supposed to fight next week. Yeah. He was supposed to fight Jacare next week. And I have so many questions, like, for fighters. I see why Joe Rogan does his um, MMA show mm-hmm. version uh, or portion of the uh, Joe Rogan experience. Um Definitely gave us a blueprint for something. Um, I think it's interesting that he does that because he. T- if you ever watch the Joe Rogan podcast, the Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan experience, it's about conspiracy theories, aliens, weed, sex. Like, it's just random stuff. Yeah. And then he brings on mixed martial yeah. artists, yeah. and then it's like, boom, now we're in a fight bag. Now we're talking about this. We're talking about Oma Plantas. We're talking about different stuff now. I like that balance that, mm-hmm. that Joe provides. So in seeing that, um, he gets you into the mind of a fighter. And just different minds, clearly different fighters. They do it different ways. I thought it was dope that Marvin Vittori said that um, Dana White eliminated a week of misery for him. Hmm. And I was like, he eliminated a week of misery by adding by moving you up a, a fight. And I was thinking about it. And Paul Felder said that he understands exactly what he means. If another seven days go by, all that gives me is seven days to think more. Mm-hmm. All that gives me is seven days to have to balance my weight. To train more, yeah. It's like, fam, at this point, just if I could go now, let's just go now. Yeah. So that's what Marvin Vittori did. Marvin Vittori stepped in after uh, Jack the Joker, and let me say his, um, his nickname because it's important. Marvin Vittori's nickname is the Italian Dream. And I'm saying that because you guys will be hearing that a lot more in the coming years in mixed martial arts. Trust me. Um, I've been watching for like a year and a half, I want to say. And I've been saying for the longest, when he gets up there, he's going to have a somebody's going to have a problem if they're holding that belt. Yeah. And I was a fan of Hermanson as well. Mm-hmm. So and this, he made me a fan. And this is for sure one of the fights that 
I was geeked to see only because if you look at the original fight, it was yeah. Jack Hermanson and Darren yeah. Till. Once I saw Darren Till and Robert Whitaker go at it, and knowing that Darren Till had tore his ACL, and they continued to do what they did, I couldn't wait to see this. Yeah, that was so. Right. Injury kept him out. Kevin Holland steps in to replace him, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, now if Jack want to take him to the ground, we'll see if 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 he can control him on the ground. Um, but Kevin is somebody who's gonna. He go, he gonna try to sling him with you on the feet for a little bit. Yeah. So I was like, this should be another little exciting, like jam packed fight. If you're not a mixed martial arts fan, you may learn some names with this fight. And then there was a positive test for Kevin, uh, for a positive COVID test for Kevin. Do you feel for for Jack? A hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's tough when you're training for for sure. Who knows who, and eventually. You get somebody that you got to be on your A game for. Right. And you would have loved the opportunity to train for, but you got the bag seven days away. Ugh. And I've said it before, too. Darren Till fights like Conor McGregor. He fights behind that left hook. So he he has it kind of low, and he kind of hides it. But when he pops it out, it's, it's fast. It's quick. Oh, yeah. And you're yeah. like, that's, whoa. That's that clearly not enough time to, to restructure a game plan. Right. But here's my only thing, reason why I mention that, is because Darren stalks, but – he looks for precision shots still. Mm-hmm. Marvin Vittori stalks, but I'm throwing. I'm throwing the entire time. So I feel like that's where I feel for him because you don't know if you're going to be the aggressor and then maybe Kevin Holland. Let's say Darren Till, you were going to wait. Maybe you're going to wait it out. Maybe the second, maybe the first round was going to be not too much action. Now mm-hmm. Kevin Holland, oh, I'm pushing the pace. This is a young guy. I'm pushing the pace. And then you get Marvin Vittori, and maybe you have to switch it again. Maybe you go back to not pushing the pace. So I feel for him in that regard, not knowing whether to start fast or start slow based on his opponent, because Marvin Vittori is going to walk forward. doesn't matter what you throw at him. He's going to walk forward. So that's what happened. Marvin Vittori did walk forward. Um, Here's the deal. Based on what you just said, I don't know what Jack expected, because that first round had me thinking – I actually said it during the first round. I said, this is an insane pace. Yeah. And I said it right after. I was like, this ain't going the distance. Yeah. Ain't no way. This will end before the third round. Mar- uh, Vittori actually stated, he was like, yeah, I was I was pretty tired in the third. I dug deep <laughs> in the fourth and the fifth. <laughs> See, that's why. That's why. Because he, he said it during the post-fight interview, too, that he, um, that he, uh, <laughs> He's because he, I forgot he was cursing, so it was on ESPN too. So they had to bleep out certain things. He was like, "Yeah, like I caught him with one in the first, and I dropped him." He was like, "I thought I finished him," and then he seen him. He, he seen him look real confused, and he was like, "Dude, he's just so damn tough." Yeah. He said, "I had him." He said, "I thought it was over." He said, "That's why I went for the guillotine." He said, and then when he kept moving, he was like. I don't know, man. This guy is tough. And then he said, of course, like the second round went. But here's where I wanted to mention, or here's why I wanted to give Jack his uh, flowers. The second round, Jack came out and was the aggressor. And I feel like that might have been something that might have been discussed in that camp. Marvin is going to come out fast. Mm -hmm. So you might not be able to put your foot on the gas into the second. Cause that's exactly what happened. He came out in a second. He was pushing the pace, getting Vittori on his back, uh, on his back, um, heels, and he landed a takedown. 
I didn't know this, but I thought it was interesting to point out that that was only the second time that Vittori had been taken down in his UFC career. The first time since his debut. He hadn't been taken down in nearly four years. Whew. Marvin Vittori is going to be a problem for this division. For sure. He's only 27. He called out Paulo Costa next. He's looking, and he just beat somebody who was nine spots ahead of him in the rankings. So he's going to jump from the 13th slot to top five, probably number four, because Jack would have to drop one. And if we're looking at just talent, it's like, yo, we like what we see. Who wants to go to the ground with him? Who wants to stand with him? Who's going to clinch with him? Yeah. He, he's already fought Izzy. And he won the fight that. on one of the cards. I got to go watch that. Izzy has a split decision win against Marvin. He probably wants that back, too. That Marvin hasn't lost since. Clear. Okay. I love that you just added that information because just now, thinking from the athlete's perspective, you're watching this one dude run go, through go everybody. To, go to the moon. Not even just in, in the sport. True. He's going to skyrocket and just True. you know he's one of the commentators on the snoo- on the uh, on the Mike Tyson fight. Thanks. Like you're watching this guy and you know you're right there. Mm. That that's like when you know you you leave and it's like oh yeah me and him we used to play like for real for yeah. real. You're a little you're a little like you're a little hurt you're a little hurt wanting to get that back and he's probably not going to stop until he gets that it's a little, opportunity back. Right. It's a little Demar Derozan esque and shout out to Demar Derozan prayers to him for being able to get out of that situation unscathed because yeah. yeah. we we know how bad that those situations can turn. But I say that it's almost a DeMar, the DeMar DeRozan effect. You want to go ahead and get an update? Yep. Um, Minnesota did sneak out the win in overtime against the Jaguars. 27-24 is the final, and they moved to 6-6 six and six on the season. And the Jags dropped to 1-11. and 11. Um, Where was I at? I forgot that fast. We were DeMar. talking about uh, – you said Lamar. DeMar. DeMar. DeMar DeRozan, thank you. Um, we say that it was almost like the DeMar effect simply because he is watching somebody else's ascension, and he was like, I, I was right there. And I feel like that's what DeMar had to watch with the Toronto Raptors once they got Kawhi. That's the parallel I was drawing. Because to have a split decision lost to Israel Adesanya and see him lit, and I think that was in April of 2018. So immediately Not following that, how far after that did he fight Kevin Gastelum? And then that's where it took off. It was Kevin mm-hmm. Gaston, it was Robert Whitaker, it was all of those fights, yeah. and then that's when Izzy Star became what it became. So I'm interested it to see quick. Marvin Vittori. Very quick. For sure. I'm interested to see Marvin Vittori against uh Paulo Costa, if that was to happen. Um I know Paulo wanted an instant uh rematch with Izzy. Not gonna happen the way that the <laughs> the, the fight uh took place. Tough. Tough um one. sit on that. Yeah, he's take he, this Vittori fight. Yeah, and honestly, the whole thing is, if he beats Vittori, you're right back there. Yeah. Because I don't think it's too many other people in the middleweight division unless you're going to make him fight Robert Whitaker. Yeah, we're going to wait on, of course, probably there until eventually, but that's going to be a while. Right. They just let go of Yoel. Which is still nuts to me. More to come. More Dana's words. I think he said up to 60. 60. Which, you know, their their roster is very, very big right at the moment. So. Right. Largest it's ever been. And the thing is, I feel like you said that Dana just wants to get to 2020. He knows that he has Connor in his back pocket. I mean, you're starting Coming your up. year with two big fights. Two two of your biggest fighters. You're starting your year with uh, Max Holloway, who is probably one of my favorite fighters ever. Yeah. And he's fighting Calvin Cater, who is dangerous. Yeah. Like, beyond dangerous. I'm talking 
unorthodox elbows, but so is Max. So you're starting your your 2021 with that, and then you go into Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor too. Yeah. And Conor, you just said it, is his cash cow. Yeah, we know that division's loaded. So the, the winner. And the champ is gone. The winner has a, I was going to say, has a storyline built for him for the next two months, three months. I wonder if the winner of that gets Michael Chandler. Uh, would you think so? I don't know. Because yeah. I, I feel like they got to put Michael, well, not got to, but I feel like they're going to put Michael in a top five slot. Not Well, not slot him, but they're going to fight him against a top five guy. I would assume that you would wait for that, right? Because Dana told Connor to wait until Habib and Justin. I was going to say, is Justin not in that conversation still? I, Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler, I would love that. Yeah. You can go a number of ways in that division. You can go plenty of if ways. If Tony Ferguson wins, do you put Tony Ferguson against Michael Chandler? It back. It's like, what Probably. do you do? I like that a little better. I like, I like that one. I like that. So, but, I, I, so that means the winner of this fights Justin Gaethje again? Or fights Justin Gaethje? Interim title? Oh no, I have an interim for the title for the, for title? the championship. Probably so. Maybe Habib I don't know Poirier, if Habib, I don't know if McGregor Gaethje has that in the bag though. What the title? The the title opportunity. Why? Just because he never defended it, and that's, a, that's an interesting point. He ascended rather quickly. There might be. Well, you still got to fight somebody. I feel yeah. like because let's say let's say Connor gets it. Connor's not gonna fight for the the lightweight title against Michael. Ch- I don't think you're gonna give Chandler a shot like that. So, I just look at Justin Gaethje, and you look at who he's beat last. The last time he's lost was Dustin Poirier, I believe, because he was stopped those two times. Um, but let me let me just say this: one of those losses is just to Dustin Poirier. So let's say that he uh, Dustin Poirier beats Conor McGregor. You could set up that rematch for the title. That's one. Um, if Conor McGregor wins, he's beat Dustin Poirier twice, and then. It seems like he's guaranteed lined up for a shot at that point, right? Probably so. If Connor wins, I would assume that he's lined up for a shot because Dana told him to wait to see what happened with Habib and Gaethje. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm waiting to see uh, Nganu versus Stipe. Don't, Dana, don't make us wait. You know what I'm going to say? And I'm going to just say this real quick and I'm going to get out of here. Are you sure that DC is retired? I doubt it. I doubt it. That's all I'm gonna say. Because I think, as as funny as it is, with the commentating that happened the Just night of it doesn't take much to come out of retirement and fight. Well, you I feel like the, the last fight in, in matters position. too. Yeah, yeah, where you leave on that last fight matters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if Ovin St. Prue, who we're about to get into right now, if he retires now, I wouldn't see an issue with that. But I'll, I'll get into that uh, in a moment too. DC, the night that uh, uh, Yarzinho, um, Yarzinho, uh, Rosenstrike, Rosenstrike, the day that Rosenstrike fought uh, Francis Ngannou, um, you heard the building was quiet. But once the knockout took place, I heard Joe Anik was laughing and was like, DC, this, like, he's in your division. <laughs> and DC was laughing and DC was like, I know we're joking here, but at the end of the day, like, I'm not afraid of anybody. He was mm-hmm. like, and as soon as the fight started, they showed the full replay. As soon as the fight started, DC was laughing, but DC was like, see, I would have took him down already. And I, and DC was laughing, but I was like, he's not playing. He's very serious. Yeah, and DC is strong as hell on the ground. I've never grappled with him, but I, I, I I've seen it. We so know. We anybody know. who can choke out Anthony Rumble Johnson the way that he did 
no, that's next. You're you're crazy. <laughs> Going off the last fight, like you said, it's okay having your last fight be a defeat. Not that way. When you know you would have beat ninety percent of the other competition and still can. Not only that, are we sure that he wouldn't have won that fight if he couldn't see for the last two and a yeah, half? Yeah, it was a little janky. It was a little janky, but I think that Stipe has his. I think they're two evenly matched fighters. For sure. Which is why I think that's why if they fight seven times, it's like an NBA series. Yeah. That's my point. Any like, time it can go either way. You could get two in a row against them. Absolutely. And Steve Bay can get two against him. So it just, I don't know. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's hard to say. But I'm not sure that he's retired. Because I know everybody's, like, running away from Francis. But I said that to say, I'm not sure DC is. DC may be looking at him like, fam, this is the this is the blueprint. All you got to do is this. Especially in the heavyweight division where it's not a number. Like, even I wouldn't give Curtis Blades, you know, uh, the, up, the advantage against Dan Cormier. And, you know, he likes to grapple too, but. I love Curtis Blades. My image of Curtis Blades switched after one fight. And. I don't know the reason why it switched. I would love to ask him mm-hmm. what was that. I think that he thought Alexander Volkov was a was a a pushover. Yeah. And I think he went in there and tried to get Volkov out of there very, very quickly. And you realize that was not gonna happen. <laughs> and Dang, I ain't got nothing else in my back. Right. <laughs> and I think that fight just made him look so bad, even though it was a win. Because he looked like he exhausted everything. Yeah, you showed, we saw what you got. Yeah, so like, it was just like everybody. A lot of people. I feel like a lot of the because he wanted a title shot right after, and I think Dana White said verbatim like he's gonna have to relax. He's gonna have to wait <laughs> after that performance. No, and I thought it was kind of interesting because I was like Dana don't. Yo, Dana's such an asshole. But Dana's. <laughs> Dana is what we love yeah, immediately. Because he's, 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 he's gonna answer your question. He's not gonna leave it up to chance. Yeah. Dana said no. Dana said Curtis Blades will not have the title shot next. <laughs> and his whole thing was like, after that performance, he said it. So I felt like I do feel like with Dana White, sometimes you gotta be careful with your fighters because you're selling that ticket still. So if I remember that and I want to buy a Curtis Blaze fight, I'm going to look at you and be like, well, damn, you did say that performance was trash. So right. you, I just feel like you got to be careful with that. But at the same time, too, Dana White looks like a person that doesn't care. Um, so there's always that. So speaking of that main event, um, they put up the most significant strikes in middleweight history. Middleweight Jeez. history. I think it was 286 significant strikes. Or 260, no, 226. Um, combined significant strikes. It was 200 and something. I don't know why I don't have my notes in front of me. I thought I did. Actually, I might have my notes. But anyway, um, they did end up with the most um, significant strikes in UFC history. And they beat Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero by nine strikes, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, they had 286 combined significant strikes as a unit. Um, they got some people that can feed Vittori in that division. You said feed Vittori? Not to say that that's how the fights will go. Oh, okay. But if okay. they want to, if they want to challenge him first, they 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 can they they got a couple names. Who did we just say, Marvin Vittori? Yeah. Yeah, I still want to see Darren too. Yoel Romero is gonna drop out of. Oh, actually, yeah. that's what's gonna happen. Vittori's gonna um take slide spot. into the fourth spot, and Jack is gonna take Yoel's spot. And Darren's gonna be That's slotted at six. But I don't see something that makes me say he doesn't he didn't get that. No, <laughs> I, I mean, well, I hate low. to say it, but with the performance that he put on, I'm not sure 
because Jared Cannonier has to be higher than Jack Hermanson because he beat him. But Jared Cannonier is coming off of a loss, too. Yeah. But he's coming off of a loss to the number one contender. Yeah. So it's like, how far do you want to drop the person who I lost to the best yeah. person in the division that's not the champ? I think uh, if you gave him a, a Chris Wyman or a Uriah Hall fight to Marvin Vittori first, just to see is this, like, are you, are we locking this in? No offense to Uriah Hall because I do think Uriah Hall is like, Uriah Hall and I feel like Ovin St. Pru are kind of in the same boat, and I keep trying to get to Ovin's, and I'm a, I'm going to make sure I do it this time. Um, if Marvin gets Uriah Hall, for instance, let's say it's a quick finish of Uriah Hall. We ain't accomplish nothing. Yeah, what does he what does he gain? You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, if he now if he fights Paulo and Paulo walks through him. Okay, now we're dropping you back down, and maybe you do need the Uriah Halls, the Kevin Gastelums, just a couple yeah. of fights to get you there. Not saying that these people are easy fights by no means, but they're ranked the way that they're ranked for a yeah. reason. So I'm not really sure what comes of that. I do think that fight, if you had the chance to go watch the fight, please go watch the fight. It was a crazy fight. Um, every time I thought one of them was in the lead, the other one did something ridiculous. Uh, Jamal Hill. Uh, TKO'd Ovin St. Prue in the second round Sheesh. of their um, co-main event. And Jamal Hill was extremely confident this week and extremely confident the day of, um, extremely confident in the octagon prior to things being announced. Oh, it's a Bruce Buffer making the um, fighter introductions. You guys can go ahead and go to Talk That Talk Radio for all the um, the full detail of the story in terms of how that story planned or how that fight panned out. All I'm going to say is that with the win, Hill improves to being only one or one of only four undefeated fighters from Dana White's contender series. Um, that's pretty big to say. Um, mm-hmm. Dana White's contender series has taken on a, a, a life of its own. Definitely. It seems like Dana has a really, really great mind when it comes to creating reality TV and creating opportunities for uh, up-and-coming fighters. So it's good to see that things are still coming – or um, potential – champions and contenders are being brought out of that uh he wasn't ranked of course mm-hmm. only seven and zero leading to this fight uh with one no contest but he was fighting somebody in Ovin St. Prue who was entering his 40th professional fight and I think it's funny because when you look at somebody like OSP I thought about it and I thought about our uh whenever we have kids and when we have kids and let's say our kids are into the fight game and they look at us and they go Let's say OSP, and let's say I don't know what they're talking. Let's say I don't know what the story is. Let's say they say OSP. Um, I don't know. Is, is is a trainer now? And our kids ask about him. OSP will be one of those people that we'll look at and say, "Yo, regardless of the record, not too many people wanted him." Yeah. So I say all of that to say that Ovin St. Prue did lose last night, so his record is now twenty five and fifteen in his professional career. But you look at some of his losses, and it's like, bro, who haven't you fought? What haven't you tried? So that's why when we talked about asking fighters to walk away from the game, I understand Ovin St. Prue hasn't been a UFC champion, but I look at the people that you've lost to, and you've had championship fights with championship fighters. So if Ovin St. Prue was to walk away from the game today. Yeah, your legacy is your legacy. There's there's a seat right here. I have plenty of things I want to reach that benchmark of you said fortieth fight. Fortieth, come on, like you know. And here's the thing that's interesting because we're actually gonna get out of here and um, wrap up shortly in the fighter's career. Not and 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 this is interesting too. He's three and five in his last eight, but it's his first knockout loss since 2016. 
So it's not like he's going in there getting his head knocked off. Yeah, I was going to say, I couldn't think off top of seeing him take a bad loss like that. Like, yeah, there yeah. was – right. The image of the referee stepping in the middle and him still covering up when the fight was over was an image for me. Because I was like, oh, he, he really didn't know what was going on just now. Like, that yeah. – how many times have you seen him like that? Not very often. But I do just want to go ahead and end with this. Um, for the first time in his 40-year – or his 40-fight career, Ovin St. Prue missed weight. And I let that breathe for a reason because I'm not very sure that there can be another or too many other mixed martial artists, fighters in general, that can say they went through a full 40 professional fights and never miss weight. He missed it by a hair in his 40th professional fight. Um, I believe he came in two and a half pounds over. Mm. Which definitely is a, is a you know game time call kind of right procedure. So, uh, again, um, Ovin St. Prue is a legend amongst MMA fans, for sure, if you know the, if you know the game. Um, and we're actually going to get out of here. But one thing I do want to say, light or uh, see, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. Featherweight, featherweight, Jordan Levitt from Dana White's Contender Series made his UFC debut 22 seconds. And he came away with the 12th slam knockout in UFC history. If you have not seen that slam knockout, go check it out. Yeah, um, it wasn't really, it wasn't even a fluke. It yeah, no, it wasn't a fluke at all. That Jordan Levitt is the real deal. I believe him to be the real deal. And just to see his respect in his class afterwards just just speaks volumes. Um, but there you guys have it. 12 six. Talk that talk. Two hours. Um, that's hoop. Yes, sir. I'm really. Next week, we are not expecting to have a show. If anything changes, it will be on our social media, guys. But we appreciate you guys for rocking with us. We appreciate you guys for sticking with us. We appreciate you guys for following our socials. If you guys want to follow us on Twitter, it's Talk That Talk LV. You guys want to follow us on everything else, it's Talk That Talk Radio Show. Please go ahead and subscribe to the website, talkthattalkradio.com. That is our official Talk That Talk media website. That is where we're going to have all of our radio shows, all of our stories, all of our exclusives, all of our behind the scenes, all of our in-depth interviews, everything, everything, everything. And we hope you guys appreciate the work that we have put in because we definitely appreciate the love that you guys give us because that's what keeps us going. Until next time, guys, keep on talking. Talk to talk, we talk to talk From the shots that's called to the tomahawks To the league boss and the ones who lost Give it to me once, I don't drop the ball To the home runs that was out the park Kershaw when I'm pitching off Kobe the Howard, he looking soft LA Rams in the city, y'all You like that, you like that, you like that Kurt Cousin back, long bomb to D-Jack Got special guests, got breaking news Got what's new if you need that Watch me speak like Ali R.I.P. Not a person on earth that can't stop me Game 7, get a ball to Kyrie 3 Come talk to talk with Chatterbox. We got it all with Chatterbox. Come to man to Chatterbox. Come to man to Chatterbox. Come talk to talk with Chatterbox. We got it all with Chatterbox. Come to man to Chatterbox. Come to.
Show man to chatterbox.